humped shape is rising out of the pit. I can make out a small beam of light against a mirror. And Edwin, Edwin and Eric, they don't give a fuck. They just want you to rock. Yeah. All over you podcast. Bam, 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 dilly dee. Bam, bam, bam. Jeffersons, we're moving on up. We are now the Rock All Over You Podcast. And it's not just me running the damn show anymore, because now I, Eric Jordan, RMCP, by none other than Edwin Castrachi. And the crowd goes wild. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. Glad to be here. Yeah, we uh, climbed out of the dungeon, and now... But we're still not part of proper civilized society. We're just like, you know, a few feet from the dungeon. But we're going to... We have better living arrangements now. It's slightly <laughs> better. It's better when you want to go take a piss or grab a beer from the fridge. You don't You don't have, yeah, you don't have to, like, beg your cruel master to let you out to get a drink, you know. No, no castle freak type shit. Well, out. Here we are. Rock all over you. Boom, boom, boom. Rock all over your mom's face. Yep, hell, your aunt's face, daughters, grandmothers, whoever. We don't judge. Edwin's into the grandmothers. And, yeah, we're coming at you live. And we all got our drink on. So what are you drinking, Eric? Yep. What are you drinking? Uh, I am drinking the very last of my Labatt Blue. Ooh, and, uh, I, I, we were having some di- we were having some technical difficulties, so I got two cans open right now. So I had to get that beer cracked. Uh, when, so Ian Wadley literally made like, uh, what is that, 40 cents now? Instead he makes of 20 cents? Because I had per, to do two beer cracks. Yeah, it's 20 cents per beer crack he gets. It's like Spotify. He gets a little bit of that. It all adds up. Yeah. And mad shout out. Gotta make a shout out. Mad shout out and props to Ralph Vieira, Ian Wadley, because they were our main inspiration. Of course, we're all brothers, part of the RMCP Army. So if it wasn't for the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast, us knuckle, knuckleheads wouldn't be here now talking to each other and having exactly. fun. Having fun. They're Black Sabbath and we're Jews Priest. Yeah, hey, hey, we be hey, not so bad. I feel like we're still at the rock and roller stage. But hey, yep. hey, look what's on the horizon. A lot of awesome. 
You know, exactly. we'll get to we'll get to our sad wings and stand stay in class if we hang in there long yeah. enough. <laughs> Pretty soon, because uh, not to mention uh, those two gentlemen uh, talking Doctor Fuck and Ian Wiley will be joining us uh, on some episodes. Uh, Edwin, do you want to introduce our very special guest star with us? Well, you know, when we were discussing who who should be the first guest on the Rock Over You podcast, and we knew who it had to be, could only be one man. I'm talking about Mick Watkins, a.k.a. Otherwise. Known oh. as Dick Watkins. You know him. <laughs> you love him. His YouTube videos are awesome. His band, Wild Ride, is awesome and has a great new EP, Gasoline Alley. And he's here rocking his what? His Little Kings? Are you drinking the Little Kings, Mick? <laughs> yes, I've got a yeah. Little Kings right here. Little Kings Cream L Original. What's going on, guys? God damn. It's, hey, oh, it's man. Sunday night. You know what they say. Sunday night is all right to party with Dawkins. That's exactly what they damn say. Right. <laughs> We're talking with Dawkins tonight, baby. Uh, man, you know what I was listening to, though, right before back? I listened to Back for the Attack, which is the album we're going to be discussing, discussing tonight. But before that, I was listening as like the opening act for Dawkins. I was listening to your band, Mick. I was listening to Wild Rod, Gasoline Alley. And i got to say, oh. that EP fucking it's awesome. It's fucking awesome. I agree. Thank you, guys. Thank I you, guys, so much. I remember, I, I like the first EP. It was pretty good, but I feel this one is, like, even better. I feel like the it's like you've taken everything that was good about the first EP, but you kind of worked out the kinks, and you've gotten tighter as a band, and the second EP is just even, like, even better, man. Um, totally agree with you. It's fucking totally phenomenal, agree. dude. It's a good balance, too, of just traditional heavy metal mixed with, like, you know, some of the... The, you know, like the hair metal that the chicks like, so it's like you got a good balance there, man. You're not too, it's like you got some of the hair metal elements, but it's not too poppy and not too like prissy. But you got like the traditional metal side, so like the guys will like it, but it's right. not like too heavy or it scares the chicks away. You got that right balance, man. It's just that that EP fucking rules, and we'll have it playing in the background like right now. That sounds good, man. You know, and you guys both just described the band Wild Ride. Straight up, I mean, that's pretty much the styles of us, because all four of us, me, Chief, Tommy, Blitz, and Kid Vicious, you know, we all love, uh, you know, just different styles of music, you know, we dig the traditional metal of uh, Judas Priest and Accept and stuff like that, but then we also like, you know, the Kiss and uh, Aerosmith, things like that, and we also like Motley Crue and Rat and Doc and throw all of that shit in a blender. That's what you get. W-I-L-D-R-Y-D-E. Wow. Yeah, you know, and that last track is like full-on heavy. It's like a Motorhead song. Don't say no. Right. Right. Everybody says that. Actually, the bass line that I'm doing, because with that, I am playing a bass line, distorted bass line, that is exactly like something limited. Yeah, that breakdown. I love right. that breakdown. That's like, you know, uh, the chase is better than the catch kind of shit. I love yeah, that. Yeah, yeah it's, like I said, hey, uh, come and go is also, it's kind of, and I don't mean this in a negative way, because sometimes right. us members <laughs> of the RMCP Army, when we use this term, we use it in kind of a negative way. Uh, it sounds a little mod- modern sounding. <laughs> but yeah. It's like good. Like it's a like, good modern. It's like yeah. good modern. It's a little different. 
And but yeah, it has this like kind of street, almost punk vibe to it, but not like that's, that's small, funny. Like, Do you grimy. like that song? I like you it guys, a lot. It grew really? on me a lot. I, I would first, I'll admit, I was like, it sounded good, but I was like, oh, this isn't kind of what I was expecting from Wild Ride. But the right. more I listen to it, I really get into it. It's got this real kind of early '80s kind of New York street punk vibe, you know. That's well, um, that's funny because um, we didn't like that. Oh, really? <laughs> no, that's actually a song by a modern rapper. No shit! <laughs> yeah, no shit. No it's, a, yeah, it's a rapper, dude. Like, he's this, uh, he's really hip now, popular, with the youngsters. And it's a guy named Juice World. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. So I knew it was from the street. I picked up something there. <laughs> there you go. So, like, we heard it, you know what I mean? Because we were wanting to throw um, a cover song on. But um, we didn't want to do anything, you know. We would you know, um, we didn't want to throw a Kiss song on there, Motley Crue, you know, something obvious, you know. So our um, our manager, you know, he kind of likes rap music, you know. Yeah. And, and he turned us on to Juice World, and we were like, you know, Juice World, this guy. I mean, it's not really our cup of tea at all. But he had that song, you know, and it has that punk rock vibe to it. So like, you know, um, we were like, let's just do something a little different and turn this song into a wild rap song. It's and great. You guys, guys really made it your own. It, you wouldn't know it was a rap song if you heard it. Like I said, you. Yeah. Nobody knows. I like that you did that, though. Thanks. Uh, I like when bands do like a cover of a song that no one expects. That's almost like a totally different genre. Right. And they make right. it their own. Uh, I'm very Van Halen of you, you know, they did like covers from like Roy Orbison and like the Kinks, but they made it Van Halen, you know, they had to give that Van Halen sound. I think that's yep. more talented and I, I, I like that more than like a band doing like an obvious cover. So oh, yeah. Nick, I also too, yeah. uh, besides Wild Ride, you're the bassist for Wild Ride, I also yep. heard you were giving, uh, you were previously giving bass lessons to Nikki Six. But uh, you tried to teach him, like, like everything you were trying to teach him was, like, too complicated. So he said, fuck this, and he fired you and went back to Bobby Dahl giving him bass lessons. Is that Ooh. true? And, uh, oh, how man. That, how long was that teaching uh, gig for? Yeah, this is true, Eric. This is totally true. Uh, yeah, um, Vicky Six lasted maybe a week with me, you know. And he, like, could not learn any any bass licks besides the standard root note stuff. So I was like, Nikki, I'm sorry, dude, but I gotta get you cut off, man. So yeah, he went crying, and now he's working back with Bobby Dahl, believe it or not. Yeah. Who is actually a shittier bass player than Nikki Six. So I don't know how that works out, but yeah. How far so, the mighty have fallen. I know, <laughs> but, dude, I know. You were with him for a week, so that means you, you did at very least. He listened to you when you said plug the bass in, so he, he got that far with you. Well, that took up the first <laughs> couple days. Did he bring in a bass? Well, he did. He brought in a bass, but the funny thing was it didn't have strings on. <laughs> and then... Right, so like he thought that it would be alright um, um, for him to run bass tracks. <laughs> and I was like, Nicky, dude, what do you know? You've actually got to play the bass, man. And then that's when he brought in a banjo. And uh, I was like, no, 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 no. You're going, no. You have to bring in a bass guitar, four strings, and we have to plug it into an amp. And it just blew his mind, and that's when he went crying back to Wild Dog. So, 
couldn't handle it. Could not he couldn't handle, handle it. He couldn't handle it. It was too complicated for him. Right, right. Yeah. And Mick, but, also, in addition to the Wild Rod, you also have your radical rockin' record reviews, right? Did I, it's like a tongue twister, Dave. Did I say it, that right? You did yeah. say it right, Edwin. Yes, you did. Yes, I have. That's where, uh, you know, a couple times a month, I like to talk about the bands that I love. I like to rank the albums that I love. Uh, show updates of, of the growing collection that I have and you know just talk about rock and roll and heavy metal because that's what I love and that's what I'm here to do you know so but yeah on there I talk I about love that Kiss, you know Black Sabbath Alice Cooper Boys Jacob all kinds of cool stuff and some new bands too man Night Demon uh, absolutely did you some beer episode too or I, as well yeah I did Sabir uh, their first release yeah Gates of Jar yeah, dude that is such a great album I love that me too man yeah and yeah. Haunt yeah. Night Demon all kinds of cool stuff coming at you well yeah man uh, but man fuck Nikki Six. We're here to talk about none other Dokken. We, for the first episode of Rock All Over You podcast, the amazing Mick Watkins as our guest star, we are going to be rocking with some Dokken, and we're talking about none other than Back from the Attack. So, Mick, you are a special guest. Why don't you tell us uh, how you got into Dokken and some and uh, you know some special memories you have with that band? Okay, how I got into Dokken. All right, now, like, this is a pretty neat story because, all right, so I got it into Doc, and this would have been around the time of the Erase the Slate album, all right? So this would have been right. e- either 98 or 99. See, I was in middle school at the time. This would have been when I was in eighth grade, you know? And then, you know, you have the late 90s, you know? I grew up loving stuff like Kiss, Alice Cooper, Errol Smith, Motley Crue, ACDC. That's the stuff that I really loved you know and at the time like you know like in my group at the school all of the friends we had the rocker friends you know none of them really liked old school stuff like that or really the stuff from the 80s wasn't even old school yet it was still pretty fresh you know Mm -hmm. but all of my friends would hear me talk about motley Crue or rat and they would laugh at it and they excuse the term they would call it faggy music faggy old you know glam you know Kind of stuff, you know. This for the record, me and Edwin and Mick have nothing against gay people. No, no, no. And and for the record, right, right, right. Like we like it. This is exactly. this is true. I think Rob Halford is the greatest singer of all time. Yeah, so I'm just putting just right. putting that out there. Right, okay. Well, right it, sounds like, it sounds like these people they had a lot of hang-ups and they weren't real rock and rollers and they didn't know what was they didn't know what was the fucking stuff to listen to. That's what's not. <laughs> Exactly. So anyway, so like then uh, we're sitting around the gym in the morning before class started and everybody's hanging out and I meet this dude. He's a younger cat than me. I think he was like sixth grade at the time. Uh, I think it was Johnny Sexton. I'm a name drop. Okay. But uh, he brought in his discman one day and in his discman was docking erase the slate. And at the time it was brand new. And I was like, Dawkins. I was like, all right, yeah, Dawkins, cool. And we sat there and and we bonded over that release and Dawkins and Motley Crue and Rats. And hanging with Johnny, he's the one that exposed me to all of the old Dawkins stuff and the Race of Slate. Then I'd go to his house after school and he played me a VHS tape that had all of the videos, you know, uh, Breaking the Chains, you know, um, Into the Fire. 
And while I thought it was really like cheesy and corny, I loved the music. And from that point on, Dawkins was a band that I dug. So that's the story. Nice. Edwin, uh, you're the one that recommended the, uh, the album. Why don't you tell us about your whole story with Dokken and how you got into them? Well, this is like back in the day. I'm the eldest here. And my brother, my, uh, my brother's five years older than me. So when I was in elementary school, he was in high school. So, uh, this is like the late eighties. Uh, and he was, a, he was into all that hair metal stuff. He had the big hair and he liked a lot of that stuff. I wasn't into it so much, all the stuff. Like he liked Poison, Bon Jovi, across the board. He loved all that hair metal stuff. But one of the bands he liked, I, you know, I was just a kid. I was just in elementary school. But even at that young age, there was something about Dokken. Uh, he would play Tooth and Nail and like Under Lock and Key. And I, those, like, there was something that kind of pulled me in a little bit. So even though I was just a kid in elementary school, there was something that I was picking up on that, hey, there's a little more meat to this band than that other shade was listening to. And in a few years, I'd be getting into my own music and, uh, and I would like swiping his stuff, his cassettes, his CDs. And I remember that this was actually one of the first CDs that was ever in my household. Uh, nice. 1987, my brother for like his birthday got like a CD player. It was like a big deal. Like, ooh, the first CD player. And this was one of the first CDs he got. And it was like back when they were actually put in big boxes. Yeah, the long boxes. The long boxes. And, I re- and this yeah. album cover, you can imagine what it looks like on the, in a long box. It was badass, that whole docking co- coat of arms, you know, thing. Yeah. And, and I just stare at it and was just like, oh, my God, this looks so cool. And he played the CD a lot. And then I stole it from him and I listened to it a lot. And so I just, this was an album I heard a lot. And, of course, Dream Warriors, I knew that song very well. It was actually even before... I was, like, too young to see the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but I knew the song in this video, and then, like, a couple years later, of course, I would eventually start watching the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but I always kind of connected them with Dokken as well because of Dream Warriors, and so this is very early on. Like, in about, I would say, like, by junior high, I was, like, listening to Aerosmith, ACDC, Guns N' Roses, Metallica, a lot of stuff like that, but Dokken was that first band, so I always have a kind of soft spot for them, that first band that... I think of as a one of my brother's bands, but I really like just as much as he did. And hell, now I listen to them more than he does. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I love Doc, and I always have a soft spot in my hop heart for them. They're kind of they transitioned me from a kid that like listened to like Mickey Mouse, you know, kind of shit and like just soundtrack records to listening <laughs> to like listening to proper like hard rock and like heavy metal. So that's that's my history of Doc. Right on, good uh, stuff. My history of Dokken... Uh, I mean, you know, I was like six years old when I got into when I got into Kiss, and they're the band that basically opened the floodgates. Man, it was everything Kiss. Iron Maiden was the second band, and after that, I was just like, you know, it was just this whirlwind of heavy metal, Juice Priest, Sabotage, I Stir, and then Dokken was one of those bands, man, that just came into my radar. They, uh, you know. My dad had that. It's funny you mentioned that VHS tape mix. My dad had the same VHS tape. It was like uh, Unchained the Night, I believe it was right. called. Yep. Yeah, right. and it had all the videos. My dad had a bunch of VHS tapes fans. And uh, I, I really love Dokken, man. I love their, uh, you know, Don's voice, their vocal melodies. George Lynch, for the longest time, like especially in high school, was one of my top five favorite guitar players. 
He's dropped down a little bit because there's other guitarists I do like, but uh, man, I, I love George Lynch. Phenomenal guitar player. I think he's probably, out of all the like hair metal guitar players, he's probably one of the best. Um, but man, I probably high school was when I was listening to the most Dokken because as a little kid, I was listening to like kind of a little bit of everything. High school, like, you know, especially my sophomore, uh, junior and senior year, I started gravitating more towards the hair metal because that's when I started getting in the bands and everything. And I kind of want to do the hair metal because it kind of attracted like chicks. All and right. so I started gravitating towards the hair metal. Uh, obviously now I go towards more of the traditional metal, but I was listening to a, a lot of Dokken, man, in that junior and senior year of high school. You know, and their music takes me back to memories of, you know, those years in high school, art class, hitting on Sarah Lishka. Um, Ooh. You know, yeah, Sarah Lishka. Uh, Sarah, Lishka. Sarah Lishka, man. She was hot as fuck, man. Short. Did she, girl, did she have, like, did she have big hooters? They had big hooters, man, but she was gotcha. pretty fucking hot and she was short. <laughs> For me, and for, you you should have just lied, Eric. You should have made it up. The Rock Over You podcast, man. Embellish. No, she. Yeah, she has big ass titties, man. Bigger than my yeah. fucking head. Damn. Like, no, man, like, I just remember being in art class, man, checking her out, listening to some fucking docking. Like, it brings back good memories, man, with some hot shit, you know? I, I love the fact, that. Eric, you're the youngest of us, and yet it sounded like you were the one that had the most 80s high school experience. In the right. Way right. <laughs> yeah, that, when was this, Eric? Like, like, what years was this? Go- this is like 2005, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, no. Um, it was about like 20, 2009, 2010, I want to say. Okay, gotcha. It was the gotcha. year the Blackhawks won their first Stanley Cup. Oh, but, gotcha. Uh, God damn, man. Damn. I just remember going, looking forward to going to art class because me and Mick went there. to high school at the wrong time. I was the we did, dude. <laughs> the fucking nineties sucked. Man, should have been in the fucking twenty tens, dude. Twenty ten. <laughs> that was a good time, man. That was a good time. But I just remember there were a lot of hot chicks in that art class, and we got to listen to music, man. So I'd just be listening, to, like you know, rat and. Docking, you know, shot the devil, man, just checking out all these girls, man, just like, God damn, this is this the life, you know. So yeah, docking was in my in my headphones a lot, man, during that junior and senior year. Yeah, I don't but what's that make sorry dude. At go this time, yeah, Eric, Eric, please say that you had a mullet. Please tell me you had a mullet during this time. Uh, the mullet had grown into just long hair. Okay. Uh, the mullet was more middle school. It was more gotcha. middle school I had the mullet. By this time I had grown it out because I was I was back in public school. So I was able to like grow it out and not, you know, face getting suspension, getting a suspension every time. So I went to a Christian school where I had to have it in a mullet. And even mm. then, they would get mad at me, saying, you need to cut your hair, we're going to suspend you or give you detention. Oh. Yeah, it was safe yeah, for me. Was like, I, I, I had a mullet in middle school, but then in high school, I, like, grew it out proper, like, all the way. That's, right, right. I, I think yeah, mullet's you good. probably had a mullet when it was accept- more acceptable. I had a mullet when it was not acceptable. <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that is true. And, like, I was, nine. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually at that point. That's when I started growing my hair long, uh, straight. It was, like, in the early 90s, like, oh, I can't mullet anymore that's so two years nice. ago. <laughs> yeah mick when did you have a mullet oh i was just wanting to add that i had a righteous mullet rat tail uh mullet with the sides uh, with the lines sh- shaved in to the side of my head oh this would have been it was badass dude it was probably about 1990 so yeah uh, did you have a little chain over a turtleneck 
Oh, hell yeah. Dude, I did have that actually. Yes. Oh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, man. So, uh, Eric. Yeah, so, you know, I had that same uh, Unchained. Is it, what's it called? Unchained the Night? Was that the name of that VHS? Unchained the Night. Yeah, it, had, like, it yeah, was like it pink. Yeah, it was it, a pink cover. It was a pink cover. Your your buddies would have loved it, Mick. It was a pink cover, stocking. <laughs> it, I, I remember that video. It was a cool mi- video. I mean, they did this funny ad where George Lynch did, did like make heavy metal yeah. faces. Yeah, I also had shit. the. I bought it later on DVD, and the DVD's even better because it has uh, bonus features. It has uh, like Don Dokken and Mick Brown from like the two thousands like giving Ooh. commentary and like reviews on each like music video they did and had extra music videos like obviously from after the VHS was uh, um, released so it was pretty awesome cool yeah also I'll have to check that out so you got yourself another Little Kings Mick? actually no dude but hang, um, hang on listen to this hang on oh yeah that sound I just cracked open an MGD no shit an MGD yeah <laughs> Right on, brother. MGD, brewed from the finest malt barley, selected cereal grains, and choicest hops. It's, a, it's yeah, an award-winning beer. Oh, it's so smooth. Oh, that would be awesome. That that should be our goal, Eric, to get MGD to sponsor this podcast. They might do it. They're on hard to this podcast. Give us sponsorship. <laughs> it could help. It could, it's win-win for both of us. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Save the MGD. Is it with the, the Screaming for Vengeance, the Screaming for MGD cover? Actually, no, it's the old school one. Old school, wow. You can tell yeah. School. Yeah, if, here. If, 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 that's the nice thing about Kentucky, you can actually get MGD. You can't do that in Florida and LA. It's really hard to find it. Bummer, dude. I'm going to get some and I'm going to mail it to you. That'd be awesome. I will there accept the yeah. MGD from you. Awesome. Yeah. Okay, so let's, uh, let's get into this. Uh, yeah, let me get into this. Back for the attack. It's on because this is the thing too about this album. It's the beginning of the CD era, and right. you can actually see like the change from Under Lock and Key to this. Under Lock and Key has ten songs, whereas this yep. album, not counting the bonus track, which we will talk about, but even without the bonus track, it's thirteen songs. Yeah. If if this album came out literally one year earlier. It would have had ten songs, uh, but because they would they, have had to trim it down, they would have had right. to trim it down. But this was the beginning of the CD era, and it's not as excessive. Obviously, there are some CDs by the early '90s that would have like fifteen, sometimes sixteen tracks. You know, like fucking hot in the shade. Ugh. Yeah, exactly. Or you got like Aerosmith, where they got like twenty songs on an album, and like fifteen of them are fucking ballads. Or, right, right. Yeah, yeah. And you got the right. Use Your Illusions, and yeah. So the CDs got really long by the early '90s. So compared yeah. to that, this isn't that excessive, but you could see a big jump. That it's getting there. It's getting there. Like the, you have three extra tracks that you wouldn't have had just one year prior. But, right. Yeah, yeah, but so, so let's uh, we'll get into this shit. Let's get into it with the uh, we'll start off with Mick, and the uh, first track is Kith, Kiss, Kiss. Oh, I mean, you said, uh, <laughs> oh my said, god, uh, that's almost like a Paul Stanley kiss. I was just Kiss-a-kiss. gonna say, oh my god, you said, yeah. you said hot, hot in the shade, so that's <laughs> it's a kiss of death. Every time I do this one, the place lights up like a Christmas tree. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so, yeah, track number one, Kiss of Death. Now, before um, we talk about the track, 
Edwin, you uh, brought up that this is the first docking release of the CD age. All right. And today I was riding around in my car and I was listening to this to get prepared and to study up on it. Because I hadn't listened to this album in a long time, actually. And I felt, you know, because of that longer uh, track listing in the CD age, I think that that hurts this album. I really do. I think there's, I'm just going to go ahead and say it right now, that I think there's three songs on this album that kind of sound a little samey. And they sound more like B-sides than they do on the release. Uh, but I'm, well, uh, we'll save that for later. Track number one, Kiss of Death. Dude, <laughs> first thing today when I played this, I was sitting here thinking, when that riff comes on, I'm like, dude, right this right here, okay? People consider Dawkins a glam metal band, a hair metal band. I say bullshit to that, dude. That riff in this song is straight up just 80s heavy metal, traditional metal. The riff to Kiss of Death could easily been a Judas Priest riff or song, and it has galloping in it like Iron Maiden. I think this song is just fantastic, classic L.A. heavy metal, not glam or hair metal. I think it's a great song. And speaking of Paul Stanley of Kiss, from what I know, Don Dawkins wrote this song about the AIDS epidemic. So, mm -hmm. it, yeah. I mean, I think it's a great song. Uh, and one thing with this song and all the other ones on it, dude, George Lynch plays his ass off on this album. And I think it's an excellent song and one of the best Dawkins songs, period. Mic drop. Boom. Boom. Love it. Okay, I'll go next. Let me just say, Kiss of Death. Now saying it the proper way. Kiss of Death. Uh, yeah, like Mick says. Like Mick says. This, you know, people that say, oh, Dawkins hair metal, whatever, glam metal, and not real metal. A, even before this, listen to like Tooth and Nail, Paris right. is Burning, that, you know. But this is, like those songs, this is a song that's straight up metal. Real metal. Correct. Yeah, and it's, I think George Lynch is the VIP of this album. Uh, throughout mm -hmm. the guitar tone, and you hear it right out of the gate with uh, this song. That riff, his guitar tone, it's so jagged. It's like a fucking knife coming through the speakers. Yeah. It's so badass. And if you listen to the layering throughout this album, Lynch is always just, its a, he's always servicing the song. You know, mm -hmm. it's not like fucking Vinnie Vincent shit, you know? Uh, he's all, yeah. I, I mean, like Vinnie Vincent solo shit, you know, invasion. <laughs> but it's always servicing the song. But if you listen to it, he's got like layer of guitar over layer of guitar. And it's just all this cool shit going on. And he's doing like pitch harmonics. Like, this is 87. This is before Pantera, like Dimebag started right. a lot. This is before, mm -hmm. uh, you know, Zach, you know, Zach Wilde. Uh, Fozzie, this is in 87. He's doing shit like that on this song, and it's amazing. And George, I mean, I can't say enough good things about George Lynch's guitar work, but everything. Don still had his voice, he sounds great. The whole mm -hmm. band, you know, Wild Mick Brown and Jeff Hilson, underrated rhythm section, very tight, so tight you kind of forget about them sometimes, but they're, right. they're doing their fucking job. They keep the groove going underneath letting George and Don be the stars. And this song is just fucking badass. Of course, it had to be the opener. It's the best opener. It just goes right fucking in, hits you over the fucking head. And if you don't love this song, you don't love fucking heavy metal as far as I'm concerned. I agree, Edwin. Cheers. Yeah, Everybody put cheers, their right. bottles cheers. in the air. Cheers. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah, yeah. Woo! Woo! <laughs> yeah, you nailed it. 
There you go. What do you think, Eric? Man, uh, this song is... The band on this song is tired than a nun's asshole. This song fucking rules. And man, this is like one of those... And I don't know why, but man, it's just one of those songs... I always forget how killer it is until I listen to this album. I listen to this album, like, the song blows me away every time. Like, oh shit, I forgot that Dokken wrote a song called Kiss of Death and it fucking kicks ass. The whole band is just on fire. I love some of the high notes that uh, Don hits. And then, of course, George Lynch, man, just tearing it up on the guitar, man. And I'm glad Nick mentioned, too, that this song was about AIDS, you know, the whole mm-hmm. AIDS crisis going on. And a lot of bands were kind of starting to write about AIDS. You know, I know Maiden did it with Fear of the Dark, but Dokken went right. into the punch, man, with this song. Just a great fucking opener. And, yeah, this song's fucking metal, man. I don't, I'm not one of them fucking people that, like, ships all over hair metal. Yeah. Don't get me wrong, you got bands like, you know, Trickster and Firehouse and all these fucking pussy ass metal bands but you had bands like rat all these great hair metal bands that yeah they're a little poppier but they could fucking churn out some songs like kiss a fucking death right great way to open this fucking album man and uh you know there's a you know i agree with you mick though they're you know cdh there are some songs on here i felt could have like been trimmed out of the album Mm -hmm. this is a great way to start off man kiss a fucking death yeah and i just want to add quickly um you know talking about the glam metal and the hair metal and stuff who can take docking for this tooth and nail under lock and key who can take this and put it in the same category as bon jovi and poison and slaughter and trickster not even the same kind of music dude no not even close I agree. Not even close. Much closer to what Priest was doing in the 80s. Right. right? And Priest could be very yeah. poppy at times, too. The I was going to bring that up. Yeah, Dawkins, like Priest yep. in the 80s, it's that balance where sometimes it could be full-out right. thrashy heavy metal, and then they could be total, like, po- you know, borderline pop rock at times. Right. Sometimes on the same album, and Dawkins just like that. Right. And really, that's what heavy metal fucking is. You know, it's not about being balls to the wall all the time. You know, like like Priest, you got Steeler, badass, you got, you know, balls of the wall, heavy ass track. Then on the same album, you have Living After Midnight. That exactly. is heavy metal. Yes. Yep. Exactly. You got songs like uh, Losing What, what, what the hell was that name of that song on Balls to the Wall? Losing What You Never Had or something? <laughs> Losing What You Never Had. Like yeah. Yeah. yeah, I fucking yeah. love that tune. It's kind of like a poppier tune. Right. And it's just like real melodic, you know? Yeah, accepts a lot like that too. Yeah, all throughout like metal heart, you know, and yep. yeah. So that's that's the yep. thing. Heavy metal used to be like, and if you listen like early Crew and Rat, like they could right. be heavier, but then they had their poppier shit, you know, and mm-hmm. that's what heavy metal was like then, you know, or even like very early yeah. that Def Leppard, like that's what right. that, people considered that it. now. Back then, people called that heavy metal. It's just yep. you know, people want to rewrite history, and you know, you might be talking about a sub genre of heavy metal like there are different subgenres but if we're just talking classic metal this is classic metal it's just melodic yep. metal through and through dude yeah yep. speaking of which that's a good segue for the next song prisoner which is now the more melodic metal side if the first track was yep. the heavier metal side and i'll take off with this one this is actually my favorite nice. track on the album oh yeah right. i love prisoner this song, it's like, it's perfect. It's a one-two punch. You get the two sides of docking. But this is like, it's still, it, this whole production's heavier than the last album, Under Lock and Key. 
There's something yep. really punchy about just the production, the way it sounds. Because even though this is a poppier song, it still it still hits you. It still has an edge to it. And that guitar work, oh my god, it's just amazing, amazing little melodies that George is th- throwing throughout. And I love the songs. It's got a little bit of that breaking the chains thing, you know, with the lyrics and that same kind of vibe. You know, Don. I just say, Don, he was never really having a good time, you know. And they always, <laughs> yes. Everyone else is, like, thinking about getting laid and having fun. This is something else that makes stocking different from hair metal bands, is Don's never having a good time. Ladies yeah. are always breaking his heart. <laughs> They're tying him down with their chains and making him cry and shit. Yep. <laughs> it's like proto-emo. He's Dude, very- yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Don was a gloomy suki sook. <laughs> he was always crying, <laughs> crying in his little, in his white wine or whatever he drank. Uh, but man, but the, it rocks. It's like rocking, right. rocking sadness. It's like yeah, I'm sad, but it fucking <laughs> rocks. <laughs> and oh, not, one problem, I agree. There's too many songs on this album. I will say this: I don't dislike any songs on this album, but mm-hmm. some of these songs should be good B sides. Yes, than all because the problem when you have so many songs. There is a sameness that kind of takes away. So by the time you get towards the end of the album, you're just like, ah, okay, here's another one. Right. And if you if you took it away and you listen to some of those later tracks by itself, you'll be like, oh, well, this is a good song. It's just that by the time you get to track 12 or 13, you don't give a shit anymore. You know? yep. <laughs> and so that, that's my general opinion about how many tracks are on this. Uh, I will say, though, for the most part, I do think most of the be- strong, the strongest tracks are in the first half. And uh, this one, I also think they... I have issues. I'll get a little more into this later on. But I feel Doc can really drop the ball with the singles released on this album. Uh, and this was their biggest hit yep. at the time. It, I mean, it was their biggest hit, this album. I think largely because of Dream Warriors and because they were kind of building up a following. But they only, after Dream Warriors, they only released two songs, Heaven Sent and uh, Burning Like a Flame. To me, uh, Burning Like a Flame, and we'll talk more about that when we get to that track, but I just think it was a weak way to kind of kick off. It doesn't really sell what this album sounds like. Yeah. And I, I think Prisoner should have been the lead-off single, and they should have had a hot video uh-huh. with chicks and chains and stuff. And So, yeah. that, so like that... Um... That was the first video, was Burning Like a Flame? Yeah, if you don't count Dream yeah. Warriors, it was Burning okay. Like a Flame. Yeah, and it, yeah. It, and it has them in fire hats and stuff. And I, I watched it tonight, yeah. <laughs> it, it's just like, it's not telling you what the album is. And not at all. No. Not at all. Very bad representation. Yeah, and I thought yeah. Prisoner would have been a perfect song. It's like The Hunter in Under Lock and Key. It's like, it's, yeah. it's catchier, but still kind of heavy. It's got a really catchy chorus, great licks. And I think Prisoner should have been the lead-off video single to promote this album. And so I think they made a big mistake not doing that. Yeah, I think that was a huge mistake, dude. A huge mistake. And to me, it's like a no-brainer. I listen to this, and I go, okay, yeah, it's the second catchy rockin' track. Prisoner should have been the lead-off single. And then they didn't even release it, yeah. no video or anything. But great song. I love it. My favorite track. What do you think about it, <laughs> Oh, Prisoner, dude, I mean, I think you pretty much just uh, summed the song up, dude. I mean, it's a great song, melodic, you know, and it is popular. But like you um, said, you know I mean, like Don, Don Dawkin, whenever he went poppy, he wasn't like Brett Michaels or some shit like that, you know. Oh, he God. was, he was, like, he was gloomy, he was dark, he was, uh, 
you know, just he always had this moodiness about him that like it didn't matter how poppy the songs went. There was still this kind of brooding darkness underneath it. And that's one of the things that I think makes this band so awesome. And that's what set them apart from all the other bands of their genre, I guess. But I think it's a great song. Once again, George Lynch totally destroys the fretboard on this song. And dude, Jeff Pilsen and just Jeff Pilsen and Mick Brown both. I think they do most of the background vocals. Because both their uh, voices yeah. seem to be, you know, they kind of stand out the most. And, dude, both of those guys singing, you know, Prisoner chained by love. It's just standing there. It's fucking pop perfection. Pop metal perfection, dude. It's, yeah, I mean, it's a great song, dude. Nice. Great song. So what say you, yeah. Eric? Well, Mick, I'm glad you brought up uh, Mick and uh, Jeff Hilton. Because, man, those guys can fucking sing their asses off. And yep. they actually, there's an acoustic performance where Mick sing like a, a docking song. They sing the lead vocals. Both those guys have amazing fucking voices. Yeah. Man, I I fucking love Prisoner, man. It's probably maybe my second favorite song off the album. Or Ooh. second or third favorite song off the album. Fucking kills, man. It's a perfect mix of, like heaviness but like it's it's pop friendly it's got those yep. the melody in it and a great melodic solo by george um yeah. i love like the you know the verses in it it's a great fucking song man and uh it's funny uh uh edwin mentioned the whole thing about don's never having a good time i'll get more <laughs> into that on a certain there's a certain song on this album that i don't really like so I will talk about that when we get to that particular song, so I'll save my opinion, but I do agree with Edwin about, you know, Don's whole thing of, like, you know, he's not really having a good time lyrically when you hear his lyrics. And, uh, oh, man, my friend Danny used to date this girl named Anna, Anna Malls. She's on Instagram, and uh, she's pretty fine, you know, this glam metal chick, you know? And uh, she posted a video, like a video... With her, like, you know, posing with all this, like, heavy metal memorabilia, and she's dressed like an 80s metal chick, Ooh. and she has this song playing. So every time I hear that song, man, I think of that chick in that video. Oh, my God. I'll does she have Does she have a bag of hooter? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she got big things. Yeah, but, man, I fucking love this song, man. Just, you know, all right, man, great one-two punch to start this album off. Right. And then we go into the next song, Night by Night, which, uh, Mick, I'll let you talk about it. Cool. You're living night by night. This song fucking rules, and this song is definitely one of my top three favorite songs on the album. Night by night. Such a great song. My son's in the background singing it. There you go. You probably there heard it. Yeah. 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 Awesome. <laughs> Grayson but yeah, fucking rules, man. Dude, Grayson loves rock. He loves metal. But yeah, Night by Night, excellent song. You know, and to me, this is how you write a successful pop metal, if you even want to call it that. This is how you write a great pop metal song. Night by Night. Not you want to cry tough out on the streets to make your dreams happen. Fuck that pussy stuff. I'm sorry. Sorry, Grayson. But anyway, but yeah, <laughs> gotta 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 center it down a little bit. But yeah, night by night, excellent song. I love the groove. You know, uh, had enough being under control. It's the same thing every day. I just love the way Don uh, 
kind of wrote the lines in the verse and stuff. There's a night, there's a place we can go. Nothing's gonna stand in our way. I just love the verses in that. And then the band kicks in with the night by night. It's now or never. Sorry to sing it, guys, but when talking about this song, you can't help it. I love this song. One of my top three favorite tracks on the album. Next. It's now or never. Get out of of the way. It's now or never. (laughs) Get it, Edwin. Get it. (laughs) I like great gang vocals. I hear a little influence on Wild Ride. You have those kind of gang vocals. Dude, definitely, definitely. Yes. It's not, I I love this fucking track. And guess what? It's top three for me too, Mick. It's my third favorite track on the album. Cheers. Woo! Bottles Woo! in there. Yeah. Another one Woo! I think should have been a single. This album should have had Absolutely. Like five or six fucking singles. Why not? All these songs are catchy. If fucking Def Leppard and Hysteria could have like seven singles, why can't fucking Back to the Attack? Right. Uh, Night by Night was so catchy. It's very uh, ACDC-ish. I can hear that. And that riff in the beginning, it's just that tone. It just comes in sounding so badass. And it's got the swagger. And Don brings the majesty. You know, the pageantry. He brings the fucking lyrics. Yeah. I love the way he sings. It has a he has a majestic quality and the groove, but yet yeah, street it's majestic and it's grimy and dirty at the same time. How can you right. do that? The only other band I know can do that is Judas Priest. So fucking hell. Doc yeah. is reaching priest level awesomeness by being both majestic and grimy at the same time. Yeah. I, I can totally nice. picture Priest doing I mean, this song on Defenders of the Faith. Yeah, total Defenders type of Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. it. But yeah, I love this track. I Like I said, the first half of this album to me is just like fucking great song after great song. Um, and this song's definitely one of my favorites. Third favorite track on the album. Should have had a video. Should have been a single too. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. What do you think, Eric? It's a great fucking song. Now, it's maybe not one of my favorite songs on the album. I feel this mm. is more like, this is like an album track. This is like mm. uh, what Ian Wiley would maybe call killer filler. Oh, yeah. A song that's not really meant to be a single, like a throwaway song that they just throw on there to add space. It's a song that needs to be on there that's not meant to be a single. It's just meant to be a kick-ass song that Ooh. fills up the album, but in a good way. I do dig this song. I didn't like it that much when I first heard this album, but it grew on me over time, especially listening to this album over and over again, preparing for this review, it grew on me. There's like so many hooks in this song, mm-hmm. and just that chorus, everything about just fucking rules, and obviously, you know, George's guitar playing on it, you know, the, the guy's guitar playing is just phenomenal throughout this whole album, but great fucking song, man, great album track. Yeah. And I'd like to add, in this song, and I'm, to me, it seems like Don might be starting to have a little fun in this song. He doesn't sound as gloomy or bummed out. Yeah, yeah. this uh, I love the, the, the something about this song, too, inspires me, because it's about, like, you know, you're kind of living on the edge. You're just live, you're living night by night, right. and you're, li- you're living in the moment. And that's what a lot of great music in the 80s was about, you know? It's about living in the moment. Hey, it all might turn to shit in the morning. But every night we're going to go out there and fucking rock. And, you know, it's awesome. Awesome. Damn. You know, I miss that attitude and spirit and metal music, you know. 
Yeah, I it's, agree. It's more Man. than music. It's a lifestyle. It's a right, right. It's a philosophy. Live life to the fullest. So then we got the next track. I think, Eric, you should start this off. Standing in All the right. Shadows. This is probably my fucking second favorite song off the album, is Standing right. in the Shadows. This song fucking rules. I remember the... You know, this is one of those ones, man. This is like an album track, so it's not a single. So, you know, when I was listening to the greatest hits growing up, I didn't hear a song. I think I had, I believe it was, I had this album on vinyl. My dad gave it to me when he gave me a lot of his vinyl records. Nice. And this song came on, man. It blew me away. I almost think, I don't know, part of me kind of thinks maybe this should have been the opening track to the album. Although I love Kiss of Death. Something about this, man. This song is like an album opener. Like, this song you open your show with is Standing in the Shadows. This yeah. song just fucking rules. And again, like like you said, Mick, it's like, try and tell me this shit's like hair metal. This, this ain't Poison, Bon Jovi, you know those bands are doing fucking badass songs like this. This is fucking metal. It's Absolutely. got a bit, it's melodic, man. And uh, the song sounds even better live. There's like footage, not a lot of footage, but there is some footage of them doing it live, and it's also even better fucking live. I've never heard this live. Song. Is this on it's, Beasts from the East? It's on the expanded no. version. Of, yeah, no, it is yeah. on the expanded version of Beasts from the okay, East. Okay. Yeah, cool. if you have the, the remastered. That, that's the new one from Rock Candy? Is that the, the new? One? Yeah, the new one from Rock Candy does have this, uh, it has this in Sleepless Nights, which both Ooh. weren't. Yeah, it has, yeah, it, they're both Actually, on. Did it. it make an official release? Yeah, Rock Candy had a couple years back, uh, the Rock Candy did some remasters of all the classic 80s albums, including this one. And it, it was also on the, I believe, the original cassette version. Gotcha. No way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have to pick that up. Yeah, the original cassette version had I more tracks to. than the CD. Actually, I don't know how that worked exactly. But... As I said, that's kind of odd. Yeah, think it is weird. Yeah, yeah, but I believe because I don't think they had. A, I don't think they even had an original vinyl of this. Uh, if they did, it, no, they did actually. But I think it was just like for Columbia House or something like that. But okay. yeah, but it wasn't on the original CD. But. The new Rock Candy version does indeed have Standing in the Shadows live. So Take definitely my money. check them. Take, give it away. It's worth it. Right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. Uh, anything else to say about Standing in the Shadows here? No, man, just, you know, second favorite track on the album fucking kills, man. Try telling me this ain't fucking, this, this ain't fucking metal. This is fucking metal. Well, I won't tell you and that, you Eric. Well, guess what? It's my second favorite track on the album, too. Yeah! yeah. Told you, this Woo! album starts off strong. And this one I definitely think should have been a single. I think it should have been the second single. You know, they could have saved Heaven Sent for third. I think Stand in Shadow is <laughs> fucking awesome. Yeah. They should have got Wes Craven to do some cool, come in and shoot some cool horror movie-themed video for the song, where the band's in fog or something. Would've that would have been, been epic. Anyway. This song's so fucking catchy. It does the George is doing that finger tapping stuff, kind of like he did uh, in It's Not Love, but I think it's right. better here. This is like Angus, for those about to rock level, finger tapping. There's you no took lot. the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. It's got that soul and feeling to it. That's the thing, you know? He's not just tapping, there, there's real soul to it, you know? It's the guitars just sing, but again, the whole band, Don too, the lyrics everything the vocals every they're all bringing their a game and there's so much atmosphere to, to the song and such a vibe to it and the layering of guitars and it's just it's bliss it's fucking music musical bliss it's ear candy it's fucking ear candy. <laughs> yeah. it, it's both heavy rocking catchy poppy 
all at the same fucking time. Who, who, who wouldn't like standing in the shadows, watching the world go by? You know, the world's going by you if you don't like this fucking song. So Agreed. And so, Mick, what, what do you think about this song? I mean, dude, you guys summed it up perfectly. I mean, I really can't add much to it. I mean, it's fucking rockin' with Dawkin, baby. It's a great fucking song. It's great, you know, like, that's one thing with Dawkin, with this song and this album and all the ones before it, Dawkin are just masters at, you know, mixing the metal with the pop elements and just, they write, they wrote great fucking songs. And this is one of them, and I, and I totally agree. This should have been maybe the lead-off single. I mean, either this, I mean, these last couple tracks, these last three tracks, Sang in the Shadows, Night by Night, Prisoner, either one of those should have been the lead-off single other than, or rather than Burning Like a Flame. Mm-hmm. Totally. I mean, great song. That's all I got for it. I mean, you guys summed it up very well. Okay, heaven sent. Now, this is the thing. Uh, I mean, after this first four tracks, that's the thing. This album's never as awesome as the first four tracks. Again, I'll just say that. But... Mm. Doesn't mean I don't still love this whole album. It, and just for the record, this is actually my second favorite Dawkins album after Ooh, after really? to- Tooth and Nail. Tooth and Nail is my favorite. Nice. This is my second favorite. But uh, but it's and but it's largely because of the first four tracks. I think that's like Dawkins' peak in a lot of ways. But gotcha. but Heaven Sense a really really good song. I don't think it's quite on the level of the four songs prior, but it's a good song. It's catchy. I get why it was a single. Like I said, I think they could have kind of held off until maybe like the third single. I feel that there were stronger tracks to be the first two. But it's a, it's a, it's not really a ballad. It's kind of just a mid-tempo, poppy, you know, hard rock song. I The thing I do like most about the song is that beginning guitar that kind of has a really cool tone. I mean, this whole wow. album, George is doing yeah. all kinds of cool shit. But it has that kind of bluesy tone. But it's Oh, like, yeah. It's like a weird post-apocalyptic blues. It's a kind of weird future blues. It just has a really weird, unique sound to it. I, I actually have never heard a guitar really sound like that before or after. It's got a really unique sound to it. And it's one of those songs that if you isolate and just listen to it, you're going, God, these guys are just really, really, they're just operating on a whole other level. And Don brings a lot of swagger to it. Again, it's kind of gloomy, but it's like gloomy swagger. That's the uh, thing. I yeah. think it's proto-emo, but the thing is, the emo guys, they don't have the swagger. Whereas Don, Don's like, you know, the, the, he's like, he's walking down a city street at night, and it's a grimy city street, and he's sad, but he's got a cool walk while he's sad, you know? <laughs> that's exactly. Right. You nailed that, dude. <laughs> and, that's what, and that's what the song's like. It's like that, 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 that long... Sad walk home, but you're still you're still a cool guy walking home. Sad, it's like that cool broken. loner that just freaking yeah. walking down the street at night, you know. Right. Whereas yeah. you know the emo shit like Fallout Boy, it's like some <laughs> pussy that oh she broke up with me. I'm gonna go complain on Facebook about it and why that listens parents, to Van Halen. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Don's exactly. just going back to a dark apartment somewhere, and he's going to brood like a man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but but really, really good song. I like it. And, uh, it. and it comes right when it needs to. Like, after the more rockin' first four songs, like, that's when you're, re- you're ready for, like, a track like that. You know, it's like Metallica always needs. Like, yeah, the, fourth, the fourth track is when we could chill out a little bit. So, mm-hmm. and, and there are actually too many songs like this uh, on this album. Uh, I don't... It's 
really there's not really a ballot. There's one song on here that's kind of a ballot, but uh, but I don't consider this a ballot. I consider it just like I said, just kind of a pop, a mid tempo bluesy pop rock song, and it's cool and I dig it. So Mick, what do you think? Ooh, heaven sent. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and say it right now that of the songs that were written for Back for the Attack, this is my favorite song on the album. Woo! Wow. And you totally nailed the vibe of it, man. It's just, it's got this cool, dark, brooding, bluesy vibe. You know, I picture, and if you, have you guys watched the um, video of this? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love the fucking video. Yeah, it's a okay. cool video. This actually, the, this video is actually decent. Yes, this video is, <laughs> to me, in my opinion, in the humble opinion of Dick Twatkins, this is the best video Doc had ever made. And I think it's one of the greatest videos to ever capture the feeling of a song. I mean, it starts off, they're all in like an old saloon or like an old rundown yep. blues club or something. And Mick's over there taking shots of whiskey and Don's at the bar and uh, Jeff Pilson's over there playing chess. And it's all dark and gloomy and raining and no lighting. That fits the song perfectly. It's such like a yep. dark and kind of grimy street bluesy song and i just love in the verse when when don's singing in between his vocal lines george will do these quick little bluesy runs these little licks yeah man that's amazing and you know that first riff that that's tuned down to d that's in drop d and besides you know lots of like early van halen not really a lot of bands Doc and Style were doing drop D music. That really didn't yeah. come into a lot until grunge. And I'm going to go ahead and say it. I mean, I know this might sound a little silly, but I think this song is almost like, to me, it sounds like it could have been like an Alice in Chains song. I agree like, totally. It has this a, is, yeah. also, also a little uh, Soundgarden. When little Soundgarden, like, yeah. Like, like, like that Dark Days song. It has a little yep. that vibe. Uh, like, yeah. Super wider yeah. kind of uh, yeah, it, well, I'm mean, super unknown uh, kind of Soundgarden. Yeah, it right. Has, it's a little pre-grunge, yeah. right? And I thought that I mean I didn't know if you all would accept that coming from me, you know. No. But dude, it's just like I I could totally hear this song on Allison Chain's facelift, you know. I agree. It's just so kind of yeah. You know, and once again, people are like, oh fuck, Dawkins, you know, blah blah blah, glam metal pussy shit. No, dude, no. Right here, Dawkins no. was doing that dark brooding Seattle sound before those bands were. Because I'm pretty sure at this stage, Allison Chains were a club band doing glam. Okay, Dawkins could have a lot of. They made a lot of bad decisions, and of course, a lot of it was based yep. on the fact that George and Don hated each other. Right, Dawkins could have positioned yep. themselves to be one of those bands to cross over in the '90s if they kind of did certain things differently. Because musically. They 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 had it. They had it right there that they could have transitioned. They had more substance and more darkness than a lot of the other bands at that time period. They totally right, I mean, done. yeah, yeah. Like this is not any you know like every rose has a thorn and bad medicine and all you know that kind of shit. This is dark, gloomy, brooding stuff. And going with the Dokken and Alice in Chains kind of comparison, I'm sitting here reading the booklet to this album. And I never knew this, but the assistant engineer on this album was Toby Wright, the dude that produced Alice in Chains. There you go. Yep. There you Who go. Who also did Carnival Soul for Kids. There, well, we won't hold <laughs> Right. We're not going to hold that against <laughs> you, Toby. But, but, uh, but, yeah. 
you can hear it. You can hear also in the guitar tone. And I have to say, Lynch, uh, mm-hmm. I said like Pantera, Zach Wilde, a lot of that stuff. Because I also think uh, No Rest for the Wicked kind of foreshadows some early 90s Alice in Chains type stuff. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and, and it, it's kind of beginning here with George Lynch's different guitar tones and the way that they're yeah. bridging darker, heavier stuff, but with pop and slower tempos here. Right. In the song. You totally nailed it. It's totally foreshadowing that stuff. Yeah. And on this video, if you watch it, I mean, because if you take the first video of this Burning Like a Flame, and then you watch this, which I I think this was the third single from it. Well, I'm not not counting Dream Warriors. Okay, yeah, true, true. All right, so you take this. Yeah, like that was like a year before this album, I think. It was several months, yeah. Yeah, um, but like if you watch that video and you hear the sound of the music and then you look at Dawkins' appearance... Yes, they have the, well, George, Jeff, and Mick still have the teased up hair. Don Dawkins doesn't. But even their image is not glam. They're all in their black, you know, black clothes or black leather. Even their image was getting a little tougher, you know, when a lot of bands weren't at that point, you know. So, The Heaven Sent, for the songs are written for this album, it's my favorite song. Nice. What do you? I fucking love this tune, man. This is like it's like a ballad, but it's like not really a ballad. It's like a ballad esque song. Um, it fucking rules because just it. It's not like you know the saint like every rose has its thorn or I'll be there for you. It's real dark kind of. It's still pretty heavy with it being a ballad. It's real dark. Um, I love this fucking song. The fucking you know the singing in this song is phenomenal. Like the the chorus, like just the melody, everything. Just fucking rules, and I love the video, man. It's, uh, I believe it was shot in New Orleans, and I remember, too, like, uh, again, the DVD I was saying about, where they released, uh, Unchained the Night DVD, had extra videos in it, and it had, uh, Mick Brown and Don Dockin doing commentary about, like, you know, you know, the making of the video, and they mentioned the girl in the video was, like, a Cajun woman from New Orleans, and... They kind of had the hots for her, and like all these people in Louisiana are like, don't mess with her, you don't want to mess with Cajun women, they're crazy. You know, and just, uh, I love the whole vibe the video gives off, like the setting, it's real dark, and I'm kind of glad you brought up, Nick, about Alice yeah. in Chains, because yeah, I can hear this theme, like an Alice in Chains song, I can hear it being done, you know, maybe a little bit even more darker. Mm-hmm. Uh, with, you know, Lane Staley and Jerry Cantrell doing vocals and pulling it off. This song fucking rules, man. Again, it's, you know, fuck all these people that talk about Dokken just being some pussy, you know, hair metal band. This band is just straight up metal. They just add that melody and those hooks to it, right. you know, and they have the, they kind of have the hair metal image. But I fucking love this song, man. Another great track, and this album's just, you know, really kicking ass. All right, so, all right. Uh, I'll take Mr. Scary. The instrumental, George Lynch. His big uh, showcase. I love this song. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. It's actually, I I was thinking about this the other day. I think this is, unless there's something I forgot, I would say this is, I think, the second greatest metal instrumental. Oh. Yeah. I, I went there. I will say, oh, I think man. a lot of people will agree with me. Orion, Metallica Orion, I think is the greatest metal uh, instrumental ever. But Ooh. after Orion, I I was thinking about it, and I'm not counting like interludes, so that takes away like half of Black Sabbath uh, instrumentals. I'm not, I'm not counting interludes. <laughs> what about Eruption? Uh, yeah, Eruption. Okay, it's hard to say. Okay, I'll put it this way. Okay, <laughs> I don't want to take away. I love Eruption, but I still kind of feel like Eruption is a flashy intro. 
Yeah, I can see that. Another one I want to bring I don't listen to it by itself, you know? Me either. either. Yeah, that's the thing. Eruption to me is an intro. Uh, It's what, if we're saying intros, it's the greatest intro perhaps of all time. But this is like, I'm talking like a song that has like a beginning, middle, and end that doesn't have lyrics. To me, that's a a pure instrumental. Like Orion is a pure instrumental, you know, it has a beginning, middle, end. Uh, and I feel Mr. Scary is like that. It's it's a song, but yep. just a song without lyrics. You know, the guitars sing, and right. it's it's amazing. You know, it's one thing you notice. You know, it's the very end of Kiss of Death. He does this kind of refrain on the guitar as it's fading out, which to me kind of foreshadows Mr. Scary's uh, main hook. It sounds a little mm. like that. So I wonder if he did that on purpose. Uh, it's kind of like bookends for this side, but it's just the guitar. I mean, God, George Lynch, this guy. He, he might have not been the innovator that Eddie Van Halen was, but I got to say, I mean, he, he's at that level of playing at this point. In the mid-80s, I mean, at the mid-80s, he was actually playing better than Eddie Van Halen at that, yes. at that time. At this uh, point in time, he was blowing Eddie's ass out of the water. Yeah, he was, I would say, George, in 1987, George Lynch was probably the greatest guitarist playing at that moment. Ooh. And it's all yep. over the south. Yeah, probably so, yeah. And Mr. Scary's like, that's where he's like throwing his dick around saying, hey, I'm the greatest guitarist at this moment. Right. <laughs> and so it's that song. It's awesome. It's again, the, the first half I think is perfectly sequenced. It's like after Heaven Sent, you're ready for just a charging fucking heavy metal instrumental. It's like a perfect way to go after Heaven Sent. I love this song. Of course, live, it was even, you know, there was soloing that led into the solos and led into yeah. the song. And it's one of the highlights of Beast from the East. Uh, but it's it's a great song. I love it. And I think it's the second greatest metal instrumental of all fucking time. So there you go. There yeah! you go. What do you think, Mick? I mean, dude, that's kind of hard to, hard to fight right there. But, you know, one thing with this song, because I've got, you know, and growing up and being into rock and metal and stuff, I, more than not, the friends that I've had, no, like, none of them really like Dawkins. Except for the dudes in Wild Run, you know. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but but all of them, everybody that has hated on Dawkins throughout the years, the one song that they all say they love is Mr. Scary. So, you know, it's a great song. It's amazing. You know, and like you said, that like George is singing with the guitar. And that's totally right because his song's got a beginning. It's got an intro. It's got verses, it's got a pre-chorus, it's got a chorus. I mean, dude, who can write songs like that, you know? Fucking choruses and pre-choruses with the guitar. You know, this isn't some Vinnie Vincent jack-off this. This is actual songwriting, you know? Yeah, that's the thing. It's not just song. It's a fucking song. It's It's a a song, you know? And you really, like, with with songs like this, there's not really a lot of them at this caliber. You know, it's... You know, the only other person that I think could have done this at the time is Warren D. Martini from Rat. And I would have loved to have heard him do something like this. Nice. I love but it's a But it's a great song, man. Excellent. What do you think, Eric? Oh, man. So this is where I may get a little controversial. Oh, no. That's what oh, I love. no. This is what I love about the show, man. This is what I love about the show. We have differences. Oh, no. I... I don't hate the song. Never have been as into it as everyone else has. This is one of those songs everyone's always like, they praise this song. And I love, especially too, I love George Lynch as a guitar player. I'm not into this song like other people do. And here's why okay. though. It's, I love the intro, that. I love that intro. 
But then what it leads into, the like that part, I never got into. I wish he was really like that. That part's awesome. That sounds like some Mario Brothers shit or something. Yeah, I never cared for that part. I was like, man, I wish he would just stuck with like something like I wish he would built off that opening riff. I love the opening riff. Posted a meme like not too long ago about like Crazy Train by Ozzy Osbourne, where they're like, oh, I love the intro, the Crazy Train, that opening riff, but then the rest of the song just kind of lets me down. And I don't feel that way about Crazy Train, but I feel that way kind of about Mr. Scary. I'm like, man, I wish I like that darker, like heavier riff. I don't really like so much like the other stuff he does in the song. I wish he was stuck with that riff. But it's not a bad song though. It's just I really wish he would have played off that riff. And it's just not one I really I don't like it as much as like everyone else does. So there's that that's my controversial opinion. I kind of wish he stuck with that opening riff. But, you know, not a bad song. I, like if I had to give it a rating, I get like maybe a I get like a seven out of ten still. Mm. I respect that, Eric. I don't agree with it. Yeah. I respect it. Same with me. I don't agree with it, Eric, but you're entitled to your goddamn fucking fucked up opinion. You're entitled to it. And we all have them. Like, uh, which this is totally going off topic, but today on the RMCP page, or one of the pages that we're yeah, all I, on. I can't keep up with Yeah, them. we got so Yeah, me either. Like, like you said on your last video, it's like it's hard to keep up with which page is which. But somebody posted like a meme of Gene Simmons singing Burn Bitch Burn. And Eric, you're going to love this. But I said, I love Burn Bitch Burn. I think it's better than half of the Love Gun album. Oh, <laughs> I, so, I, so, I, I don't agree with that, but I love Burn <laughs> Yes. I, I'm going to put my log in your fireplace, and it's that simple. <laughs> <laughs> don't have a log. If anything, Gene Simmons is going to put a log in her toilet, not her fireplace. So, so half of Love Gun. That's, that's okay. That, that, definitely, yeah. that definitely includes a couple songs that shouldn't. It's better. Well, I mean, not, not to get on a kiss tangent, but uh, I love shitting on Love Gun. If you said if you said two or three songs of Love Gun, I'd have your back almost. But okay, well, may all right. Hang on, let's take a little uh, quick break from docking real quick. All right, I think it's better than than uh, I'm a hooligan. I think it's better than that. Oh, yeah, that's the worst song I'll play. Okay. I think it's better than Tomorrow and Tonight. Yeah, definitely oh, that agree with that. the second song that got me into Kiss, though. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. That it song sucks. It does night, suck. And that was a song that I was like, oh, man, this is my band. Like wow. Ian says, like Wadzilla says, it sounds like the Partridge Family or something. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't hear that song <laughs> until after <laughs> I, I started buying their albums. If I heard that song first, it would have kept me fucking far away from Kiss. Right. I think <laughs> See, for it, me. For me, like my controversial Kiss opinion is, I I can't get into the debut album. I don't like it that really. Much. Mm. Yeah, like there's there's good songs on there, but like some of them sound better live. And then there's I agree with that. I just don't get into like. I don't like Let Me Know. I don't really like, uh, I really can't stand Nothing to Lose. I never liked that song. It's about, and it's about anal sex. But it's Nothing like, wrong with that. Hey, if I, I, it's weird because you like the Beatles. <laughs> I would think you'd like Nothing to Lose because it's kind of like a Beatles song. They're all that's, like, that's straight up early Beatles. Yeah. 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 Get your but shit it, together, Eric. Come right. on. Come on. Come on. I got Get nothing to lose. Man. Something, I don't. <laughs> man, that's I should like because it's like it's Beatles esque and it's about fucking a girl in the butt. Who yeah. doesn't love doing in that? In the butt. But I can't get into it, man. In the butt. In the butt. Some people like <laughs> what, what, cheesecake, and some people like 
More cheesecake. It's like some people love cheesecake and you see some people love steak, but that's like the great steak. thing about kids, you can like both of them. Was that Craig Gas? Yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. That's amazing. Okay, okay, so we took our kid. Well, all right. I, I got you all on Hooligan, even though I actually don't mind Hooligan. I know it sucks, but I like it. I'm an easy mark when it comes to Peter Chris. You yeah, can because it's yeah. a hokey rock and rolly song, and I like it because I just like his vocals. Um, actually, I think tomorrow and tonight would have been much better if Peter Chris was singing it. He could have. You know what? Oh, you're right. No. You're 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 totally right about that. Evan. I yeah. Agree. Somehow oh, the no, backing no. Sing- the backing singers would have worked with Peter Chris because it's just like a hokey fun rock and roll song. But Paul right. Stanley, the backing it's singers. hard. I think that was, <laughs> no, but, was like uh, Dawn. You know, Toy Orlando and Dawn. Not three times. I think it was like one of the girls <laughs> from that was like one of the background singers. I, I love that fucking part. I love the background singers. It's Vegas Kiss, and then uh, what? Oh, I guess, uh, and then she kissed me would be the other one. I'm guessing. Or I love. Any... Then she kissed me. Oh, <laughs> I'm guessing that's one of the songs that make you thinking. But that... oh, totally, totally. Uh, burn, bitch, burn wipes the floor with me. But then after oh. those three songs, what are the other two songs you think gets better then? I, all right, now thinking about it seriously, I think there's only one more that I think it's better than, and that would be "Got Love for Sale." Oh my God, that song's a gem. All right, I do like it, but you know what? I'll let it go. Okay, technically that's not half the album, man. Okay, it's not, technically it's not. <laughs> it's almost though. It's almost. It's close. It's, it's da- close. Dangerously close to being it's half. Dangerously <laughs> close. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That's a Paul Stanley song. Dangerously close. Dangerously close. Dangerously close. At the close. name of, at the, name <laughs> of the next Kiss album. Uh, yeah, dangerously close to death. <laughs> it, it, dangerously close to love. Oh, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> All right, back to Dawkins. Back, back to Dawkins. Yeah. Back to Dawkins. Next side of the record, we're flipping it over. No more Kiss, but yeah. <laughs> we just increased our uh, listenership by talking about yeah. Kiss. Yeah. Right. Probably you guys just gained like six hundred more. Followers, I think. So, okay, so, so many tears. This uh, backs up my whole theory about Don. No, boy. (laughs) Emo Don, here we go. Emo Don, oh, God. Why do these women, why do these ladies keep breaking Don's heart? Poor Don. I think he likes getting his heart broken. I, I kind of suspect that. Yeah, I think you know he's a little. They always talk about George Lynch always bitches about like, oh, Don Dockin was such an asshole. Well, motherfucker, you see how many like fucking women fucked this guy over? You'd be a bit of an asshole too, man. Yeah. It, it was like once a week. Don was probably getting his heart yeah. broken from the sound of it. I think it Don was- seems to be like the kind of guy that gets hit by women. You know, oh stop, uh, you know, he gets beat up by yeah. his girlfriend. And yeah, then he I think song yeah. about it. He's a battered man, the burning bed. Don right. Dude, listen, listen <laughs> if he was a wrestler, that'd be his name. <laughs> Coming down the aisle, the burning bed, Don Dawkins. Don Dawkins got his heart broken so many times. Every song, it's like, oh, like our love is burning like a flame. Please don't leave me. Don't you see what we got? Like, oh, right. in my dreams, you still love me. But in reality, you're blowing five other dudes. I'm alone right. again because you're a cheating bitch. Who the fuck wrote this man so bad? You nailed it, dude. You just summed up Don Dawkins right there. Perfect. Yeah, that's his life, man. Shit. It'd be funny if it turns out it, it was just some girl, just some girl he like dated for a week. Right. He got really scared about it in high school. He literally, literally like the Taylor Swift of like '80s metal. Dude. 
you might have just blown all of the viewers or listeners' minds right there. <laughs> yeah, well, I just want to go with uh, later on. He says, "Stop fighting love," and it's like, Don, maybe you should fight love because it's not working out for you. Right. Live a life of celibacy. <laughs> yeah, stay away from love. <laughs> yeah, but then again, you wouldn't have a lot of songs to sing about because then you know, well, if sure. it wasn't for your heart being broken and occasionally AIDS, what would you sing Ooh. about? You know, what Freddy Krueger. If Freddy Krueger. <laughs> and the only thing scarier than Freddy Krueger is Don Dawkins' love life. Right. <laughs> Even Freddy Krueger doesn't want to fuck with that shit. No, not at all. So anyway, so so many tears. I'll just say, um, this is a track. It's one of those songs that if you isolate it and you just listen to it, you go, yeah, that's a that's a well written, melodic, catchy, you know. Uh, Dawkins song. I feel like the second half of this album is a little more on the Don side, a little poppier, and the first half is a little more rocking than George Lynch. Uh, it's a good song. I like it. Uh, if, if we had to cut off some songs, maybe this might be one of them. Even, But it's a good song. I do like this song. That's the thing. I like this album, and I'm not going to cry about it because of a few extra tracks. I mean, it's my... Are you sure? because, yeah, I'm not going to cry like it like Don. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, because especially when you think about it, I mean, we didn't get a lot of 80s stocking. I mean, that's the thing, you know? We didn't get a lot of 80s stocking. We didn't have this awesome band. So if one album, they shot their load and gave us extra helpings. Um, yeah, sometimes it's a lot to l- deal with in one listening. But you can break that shit up. You can, like, just listen to the first half and then save, like, think of it as part two later on. Like, back to the attack part two. And then you've right. got a whole new goddamn Dawkin album. And that, I picked that over a lot of their later shit and a lot of other band shit so so oh, yeah. i don't mind the extra helping that's all i'm saying but yeah this is like the first song though <laughs> where i think this is an extra helping and uh and there's a few more <laughs> to go but it's a decent enough song but definitely not one of the strongest tracks in my opinion so what do you think Mitch? uh i'll get back to that in a second but i'm sitting here as you guys are talking i'm reading the booklet to back for the attack and i'm reading the thank yous and one of the thank yous they thank Bruce's all-male Swedish body waxing service. Ooh. What the fuck? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Some hot rocking. <laughs> right. Damn. I'm, I'm going to leave that one alone, but that just stood out to me. I was like, okay, cool. That must have been done. I hope the guy would get a sponsorship from them. Right. <laughs> Maybe we're making assumptions about Don. We're saying it's a woman that broke his heart. You know. Right. Love, so like, love comes in many different sizes and shapes. So like, <laughs> so like next week at the top of... So tears because that dick was so big. <laughs> next week at the top of your all show, it's going to go. And here you go. Sponsored by Miller Genuine Draft. And Bruce's all male Swedish body <laughs> waxing service rock all over you. <laughs> no, but uh, so what do you think of so many tears, McWalkins? There's only so many tears you can cry. I'm gonna say this is the first track that would cut from this album. Not a big fan. This oh. should have been a this should have been a B side. I mean, it's a good song and it does belong on the record. But you got 13 songs from the CD age. I think this album could have been a very strong eight or nine song album. And I would, like, if I was the producer of this, which, who is this produced by? Neil Kernan. He did uh, some uh, Queensryche albums in the 80s as well. He okay. Did, cause yeah, he did I, Rage for Order and stuff like that. Okay, I was going to say, because I've, oh, really I've never really heard of this guy. 
Yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah, he's a heavy hitter, even though we don't know who he is. I just looked it right. up before we did this. I was like, oh, shit, he did all the... Yeah, okay. he did, yeah, he did uh, Rachel Order. Yeah. Interesting. All right, so Neil Kernan. If, all right, if I was uh, him, I would have left this on the cutting room floor. I mean, it's a good song, but not for this album. I yeah, it could have been a B-side. B, B B-side, B definitely. Or Save It as a studio track for Beast from the East. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, they could have had a, like a studio side, kind of like a, a live too. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, man, so many tears. I agree, man. This is fucking filler. The fucking cheesy, like, heartbreak, like, love song. Right. Uh, now, I hear this song. I, I read some liner notes online. I don't know if it's in your booklet, Mick, but I heard... Uh, Don Dockin actually wrote the lyrics of this song after hearing Silent Lucidity by Queensryche. And really? And he's like crying so many, he cried so many tears, he's like, how could someone do something so horrible to the world by making a song this bad? Oh, shit. Uh, that's what the song's about. Yeah. I think uh, it's so, it's yeah. horrible, it's immoral that Don Dockin used time travel and went to the future to hear that <laughs> song. Just to piss on it. He wasted he time travel. Right! Why would you? <laughs> Because like, wasn't that what like 1990? Yes. Like, yeah. 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 No, he he like, could have warned everyone about 9/11 or COVID, but instead <laughs> he wastes his fucking time machine to go listen to fucking Silent Lucidity. So, or he could have went into the future. Don should have gotten his uh, fucking telephone booth time machine and went to 1997 and kept them from recording Shadow Life. That's what yeah. he should have done. Yeah. And maybe George Lynch wouldn't have left the band. Yeah, although fucking George Lynch is part of the reason why Shadow like sounds the way it does. He's oh. a very trendy guy. George You're right. Was, You're right. George was the guy that was saying, let's, let's go grunge. Let's see what the kid's like. You're <laughs> totally right. All right. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, Dodd didn't like it. Dodd's like, dude, I like you know my old Guardbirds and fucking Scorpions albums. I don't want to do shit like this. Right. <laughs> yeah, have you ever listened to George For Lynch's... All the shit he did after docking? Oh shit, fucking every year it's some new trendy something. Ooh, I know, like, wasn't there, I mean, the only Lynch mob that I have, I have the first one, which is amazing. It's like the Lost Dockin' album. Uh, was it Wicked Sensation, I believe? Yeah, Wicked Sensation. I don't like it as much as you, make, but it's easily their best album. Oh, easily. I have that one, yeah. and then I have the two latest ones. Uh, one was from 2014, I believe. Uh, what the fuck? fuck is that one called but it's really good but anyway but it, but isn't there one from like the late 90s where it, it's like a rap rock album have you yeah, guys it, ever heard yeah yeah it's uh, hard it's i've never hard. heard it smoke this that's right that's right here it. oh it's horrible it's horrible all right well i'll keep i'll refrain from him don dockin as never did anything that bad and right. he's like a fucking acoustic version of that titanic song I'm not kidding you. Are you fucking serious? Are you fucking serious? Send me that shit. Who did this? Was it Don or George? No, Don did that. But you know Uh, what? Still better than a fucking hit rap metal album that George Lynch did. uh, Yeah, I agree. I'd rather listen to that than George Lynch, Limp Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, God. What happened to these guys? Fuck. Fucking, yeah. (laughs) Sad. Sad what happened to the show. Let me tell you, I cried so many tears when I heard uh, fucking... George Lynch trying to be fucking Fred Durst, like, yo, 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 I did fucking Nookie, Mr. Scary. Oh, oh shit, dude, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Okay, so back on track. So who did you talk about? So we agreed. So many tears. We all agree. Filler. Filler. Yeah. Yeah. Not fucking shit. Not killer filler. Completely shit filler. Yeah. Okay, so burning like a flame. I'm taking this off. I'm gonna take all of this here. Okay, burning like a flame. The if you don't count Dream Warriors, the lead off single on video. Bad, bad move on Dawkins' part. It's amazing this album still won platinum. It's almost like they were trying to not have it be platinum. Right. <laughs> despite, despite their efforts, people still bought this album. <laughs> but A, this video sucks. It's a horrible video. With them wearing the fire hats. And the song, I used to not like the song. The song has grown on me. I think because in recent years I've become a very big Cheap Trick fan. And I kind of appreciate this as, as a power pop song. It's just kind of a full out power pop song. And it's a catchy song. However, I don't think it should have been on this album either, even though it's a lead-off single. I think yeah. this should have been saved for, like, a soundtrack album. Like, like sound, it should have been on a soundtrack for some, like, teen romantic comedy from, like, 1987. Like, like it could have been on Top Gun or some shit. Yeah, yeah, like it, like one of those many cheap trick songs that end up like right. That's what it sounds like to me. It sounds like kind of a catchy enough throwaway on a soundtrack album. Yeah. But, uh, which if you heard, like if it was part of a box set, a dock and box set, you go, oh cool, burning like a flame. That's great. They should have released it as a single. You would have thought that. <laughs> you would have been wrong, but the song would have seemed special and you would have liked it better. But when in the reality you realize it was released as a single, you go, gee, this is like one of the weakest songs on the album. What the fuck were they doing? <laughs> but yeah. it's a catchy enough song. I've grown to like it. But I definitely do not think they should have been the lead-off single. And I don't even think if they were really, if they were cutting this down to like 10 songs, Burning Like a Flame would not make the cut, in my opinion. So that's Ooh, my okay. that's my opinion Ooh. of Burning Like a Flame. What do you think, Mick Watkins? Oh, man. You know, you bring up some great, uh, great points. But, dude, I can't help it. I've always really liked this song. <laughs> you know? So you keep I mean, it. Video. I would definitely keep it if, I, all right, like if I was Neil Kernan, I definitely would have kept the song. But you're totally right. This should not have been the lead-off song because this being the lead-off single and the, just the video of them dressed up as firemen and the little cartoon stuff, man, <laughs> it just gives this album just it's like it just is it does not represent it well at all. Like the rest of this album is not even close to being like this. I mean. It's a good song. I wouldn't have put this as a single at all. But I think the reason they wrote this was to be a single. So, I mean... Yeah. It sounds like they were potentially trying to come Right. Like, Neil, like mm-hmm. Neil, Neil was Kernan was like, guys, you gotta have a catchy single. You gotta have a Poison Bon Jovi type song. So yeah. then, <laughs> Burning Like a Flame happens, you know? So, I mean, I like it. It's a cool song, but should not have been the lead-off single. That's why this album... Or how did this album perform? Do you guys know? It did well. It was one platinum. Top, yeah, one platinum, and it was the, it actually reached top uh, reached thirteen on the top twenty Billboard charts back when that really meant something. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah. when people actually bought albums, that's oh, pretty impressive. Yeah, of. it was it, it it was a popular album, but it kind of despite singles like the song "Burning Like a Flame" was not a hit song though. It okay. just. I think it was just at that point they had a reputation. People like Doc and they, op- you know, they were opening for a lot of big bands, so they wow, were yeah. a big opening act. And Dream Warriors had like a cult following, and Absolutely. that was on yeah. here. So I think between Dream Warriors and them kind of making a name for themselves as an opening act, 
And, and because of the last album, Under Lock and Key, uh, In My Dreams was a modest hit on rock right. radio and on MTV. So I feel like they built up a following. So this album did well, mm-hmm. and it was their biggest album. But it could have been like a much bigger album, in my opinion, if they had actually released some of the good songs from it. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they did. I mean, Heaven Sent, they did. But it was after this, whereas I felt like if they had built Heaven Sent up, with like one or two other stronger tracks beforehand, Heaven Sent itself would have been a bigger hit, I felt. Absolutely. And then this song could have kept the flame burning. (laughs) As far as record sales. And this could have maybe been a a later single. It's catchy enough, but but definitely not the least. And uh, so what do you think, Eric? So this is like, it is a cheesy song. Oh, yeah. Definitely really not one of the best. A soft spot for the song. And I saw this video. It was, you know, high school again. You know, uh, back in 1987. Feel like Eric took a time machine himself, and you had high school in the 80s. You did like a Back to the Future kind of. He did. He had a mullet. He had the Camaro. He had the acid wash jeans. Did you teach George Lynch how to play guitar? <laughs> I did. Don't tell anyone. I don't want the FBI catching on. But damn, I tried teaching Nikki six bass, but he, he like said fuck you. Like this is too challenging. Dude, from experience, he's a lost cause. Don't waste your time. Yeah. You, pl- you played burning like a flame at the George Lynch's uh, Don Dawkins High School prom. And it, yeah, yeah, where Don got his heart broken. It's crying, <laughs> punch <laughs> um, <laughs> Poor Don. Or Don. <laughs> but, but no, I, I fucking, I, I love this song because uh, it reminds me of junior year. I went to go see Black Label Society with my dad mm, and nice. my uh, my Aunt Liz and my Uncle Len, who, you know, unfortunately my Uncle Len's no longer with us. Uh, he fortunately passed away a couple of years ago, man, but he, he used to take me to so many concerts, man. He was just the coolest guy. Me and him loved a lot of the same music, and we bonded over music. And uh, this song just reminds me of, uh, I went to go see Black Label Society at night. It was on the Friday night. Dad picked me up after school. We went, we saw the show. It was Zach Wilde fucking killed it. And we, like, you know, crashed at, uh, you know, my aunt and uncle's place. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, I was in high school, but I was drinking. They let me drink, like, a bunch of Red Bull and vodkas. Oh, yeah. And we picked up Taco Bell on the way home after the show. So I oh. remember they're like, turn on the TV in the living room, crash out, you know, <laughs> eat your Taco Bell. So I just remember I had my life seeing Zach Wild, and I'm just chilling there with my dad, some Taco Bell, and we had TV on. They had metal. It was like, you know, freaking, you know, two in the morning, I think, and they were playing just nonstop Metal Mania on VH1 Classic. Oh, and yeah. this video came on and just... As cheesy as the song was, and even cheesier was the video, I just loved it because it, it takes me back to that time. And I just, you know, I get a kick out of watching that video because it reminds me of just that fun summer, hanging with my dad, hanging with my Uncle Len, seeing concerts, drinking under, you know, me drinking underage, having fun. So I, this song has a sentimental spot. It's a shitty, it's a shitty song. It's a really cheesy video, but I love it because it has that sentimental spot. And I yeah. love cheesy videos. It's fun. Right. You know, and you just talked about something, you know, like, isn't, that's the beauty of music, man. You know, you mean, cause right now here in 2022, we don't have time machines, but yet we can hear songs and they totally take us back to those amazing yeah. moments. 
that's the power of music, dude, and that's so fucking cool. You know, I agree, man. Mm-hmm. You Love get, it, man. You, you know who uh, liked this video? Mr. Paul Stanley. Of, of course he did. Of course he of did. Of course he did. These Close boys, uh, these boys are coming out of the firehouse, and they're getting a, the, the, you know, and you know what a firehouse sounds like? It goes woo 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 woo. <laughs> Tell you something though, if if my house or well, my apartment, if my apartment was on fire, and I see Dokken pulling up in a fire truck, and like I need them to put the fire out, and George Lynch is just sitting there doing a fucking guitar solo, I'm gonna be pretty pissed. I'll be like, hey man, my my apartment's burning. Quit playing right. guitar solo and put this shit out. What the hell are you doing? Don's just sta- standing there staring at the. He's host, crying, crying, crying tears <laughs> the whole time. He's like sitting there moping and shit. It's like, your tears are not going to put out this fire, Don, even though <laughs> there are a lot of fucking tears. <laughs> There's only so many tears you can cry, Don. But only yeah. so many. You can't do it all. <laughs> okay, Lost Behind the Wall. I'll take this one. An album track, obviously. Yeah. But yeah. I think a good album track. I like this song. Again, I feel like it'd be stronger if we didn't have like so many tears before it, maybe burning like a flame. But anyway, but Lost Behind the Wall, I like it because it sounds like an accept song, and I Ooh, like it. Yeah, yeah. especially like, the background vocals. Right? Yeah, the backing vocals, yeah. kind of groove, kind of everything. Even like the lyrics yeah. are kind of like accept lyrics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like it sounds almost kind of like they're uh, want to talk about Berlin Wall or something. Yeah, it feels you like kind of. Like it could be about, or at least inspired by the Berlin Wall. So vaguely yeah. political, which is a little like accept, and it just has that groove to it. You know, definitely an album track. But this is a kind of song that, if again, if it was a little leaner, you kind of would welcome on the second half of the album. Just kind of mm-hmm. a solid mid-tempo, except sounding metal song. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I dig it. I like the groove to it, and <laughs> it's not a standout, but to me, it's it's a solid album track. And I dig Lost Behind the Wall. And great backing vocals. You know, I love all the gang vocals. And Jeff and yeah. Nick, you know, yeah. they do great. It's very strong. And, and I dig it. It's a cool song. I like it. So what do you think about it, Mick? Um, I pretty much agree with you, dude. I mean, like, it's a great... I mean, like, it's not a single song. It's not something like that. I don't even really think it'd be a song worth playing live, you know. Yeah. But it is a good uh, track for the album, you know. And, uh, God, great background vocals from... Jeff Pilson and Wild Nick Brown, you know, it's, uh, I mean, it's a good tune, nothing special. If I was Neil Kernan, I probably would have left this on the album. But compared to Side A from Kiss of Death up to Mr. Scary, still not of that quality, though. It's not of that quality. Agree. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, Eric? Oh, man, I, I love this tune. I do agree. It's like an album track. This is like killer right. filler right here. Like, there's no way this song's going to be a single because it's just kind of too heavy. And, and, you know, the chicks aren't really going to like it. But, man, this no. rules. Uh, this is one of my, like, you know, this would probably be, like, maybe tied with Prisoner as, like, maybe my second favorite song on the Ooh, album. Ooh, wow. I, dude, man. I love the chorus. I love Controversial. The way, like, I love your life. Go, go, go. go. I love that. And then, man, George Lynch just, again, with the fucking killer solos, just fucking rips on this song. I love it, man. This is definitely one of those great, like, deep album tracks that, like, you know, you you love, like, the hit, you know, you find the single songs, maybe, that, like, kind of draw you in. But this is the song that keeps you coming back to listening to this album that you don't hear on the radio or most people don't talk about that you love because it just hooks you in. 
I fucking love this one, and it, it's a good, good assumption too that it's kind of like accept. It does have like a little yeah. bit of accept sound to it. It's definitely one of the heavier tracks on the album. I fucking love it, man. Love but you, the wall. But you know, bringing like bringing up accept. This is better than anything except was doing in 1987, though, in my opinion. What do you guys think? Uh, uh, I don't know, man. I love Russian Roulette. I love yeah. that movie. Yeah. It, I, it never connected with me, honestly. Yeah, really? You don't that. like Russian? You don't, how you do you feel about Metal Heart? Metal Heart? Oh, God. I mean, to me, Metal Heart's good, but for me, that's when Accept started to slip a little bit. But I do like it. I do like it, but it's... It's nowhere near close to like uh, Restless and Wild or Balls and Wall. I see. I really what man. You should give him another shot if you haven't listened to them in a while. I'll do that. I will do that. Russian Roulette is one of those albums where if I kind of go like a little bit without hearing it, I forget how much I love it. Like Mm. if I go like you know a couple months without hearing Mm -hmm. it, I'll be like, "Eh, yeah, I think that's maybe one of my least favorite of the classic except albums. But then I'll play it. I'm like, oh my god, this one's like. This is up there with Balls to the Wall and Metal Heart. This fucking album rule. Like, I like it wow. even Reckless and Wild. And that's a what? But I really? It's so good. It's one of those albums where I just, you know, if I go a while without listening to it, I forget how good it is. It's one you of like those. like it? Damn. You actually like it more than Restless and Wild. I do, man. I do. Oh. Man. Restless yeah. and Wild is a great album. But like, oh, man. I, w- I wouldn't go that. that I, I wouldn't go that far, but I do. I do like Russian Roulette. I think it's a very good okay. album. But Restless and Wild and Breaker are actually my top two. Uh, Breaker is really good. Breaker is really good. Yeah, but uh, you know, so but you know, Don was a big Accept fan himself. He yes, didn't that. he actually work with Accept? Yeah, or, he, or no. he, the bassist. He used their bassist on the Don Dawkins first solo album. Uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was Peter Peter uh, Boltez. Yep, the, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, who yeah. also did very good uh, backing vocals. He was actually a good. Essentially, that band on uh, the uh, for Don's uh, first solo album was essentially yeah. supposed to be like the new new Dokken. He was going to use the right. Dokken, but they sued him. So he was looking for a guy that could kind of replace Jeff Pilson and do those backing vocals and have that kind of groove. So and, it made sense. And Peter was the perfect candidate. You know. Yeah, yeah. Not, not was um not was uh, Mickey D on the drums? Yep, and Mickey D is from Motorhead is the drummer on that. Yeah, and they right. got the uh, who's the guy from Europe? Uh, he did a lot of stuff. John Norum. Oh, yeah, John, John Norum. Who, who later on joined Dawkins again? Yeah, that was a great. That was a hot band. It was a hot band, and I really yeah. liked that album a lot. Uh, it was a, it, you know, it could have worked as a follow up to Back for the Attack, but you know, it did. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it ironically, sounded more like Dokken than the album that came later that was in Dokken, but so it was interesting. Well, you but, had Dysfunctional? Yeah, dis- which I like, yeah. but, uh, but it's... I actually uh, like Dysfunctional. I, I, I like Dysfunctional, too, but it's, it definitely doesn't sound like traditional Dokken, which I don't think there's any no, problem like, with that, but it's... I think, uh, I think Razor Fist put it best that Dysfunctional is like, if you like a little bit of Beatles in your Dokken, because it's almost like kind of like a... It's like kind of a Beatles or like 60s sound to it. Yeah. Well, let's hold off on that because that just right. might be, that might be my pick of the week. So, hey, oh, ooh. okay. You can oh. hear, I'm going to add one thing to that real quick, if that's yeah. all right. Yeah, go ahead. But you can hear a shitload of influence of the doors on Dysfunctional. Yeah. Yeah. You can. A lot, a lot of, of Jim Morrison. A lot of Don 60 and. Uh, 60s influences and he loved yeah. a lot of that stuff because he loved the doors and the stones and the Beatles the Yardbirds all that mm-hmm. stuff 
He did, so, a, right. he did an album where he did a cover of, uh, what was that? It's like a Holly song, Bus Stop. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, like that was on their greatest hits they did. It was like 2008 or 2009. Cause actually yeah. I have that. It, it was like, um, when they went back and re-recorded all of the 80s stuff with a couple new tracks on it. Okay, so let's go. So we uh, all like Lost Behind the Wall, and Eric loved it. And so we're, and we're keeping it on the album, so there you go. Let's stop, next track, Stop Fighting Love. I'll take this one. Now, Stop Fighting Love's the song that when I did, I did a docking video. If anyone hasn't seen it, definitely check that out on YouTube. I did this long-ass docking video where I reviewed every album. It was during a, a lockdown. I had a lot of time on my hands. So anyway... Uh, and this song, I said, was my least favorite track on the album. I don't, I don't think that anymore, actually. It's grown on me. I still think if I had to cut songs, it would still probably get cut. Um, but I like it better in So Many Tears, and I actually like it a little bit better in Burning Like a Flame, although if I had to pick commercially, I understand keeping Burning Like a Flame over it. But, um... I stop fighting love. It has a. It's probably the closest thing to a ballad on this album. But even though it's not like a full fledged alone again kind of slipping away ballad, it's still. It has a little bit of that heaven sent kind of. It's not as good as heaven sent, but it has a little bit of that kind of dark groove to it that makes it not like a full out ballad. And it's a little rock and in spots. Great guitar work. Great melodies. Again, it's one of those songs that if you isolated it, or if it was just like a B-side or like on a soundtrack album, you'd go, oh, that's a really well-written, good, doc and pop rock song. But by this time on the album, it's just a lot of this stuff's getting a little washed out because there's so right. many songs. And so Stop Fighting Love just kind of comes off as just like, oh, okay, this is filler. It's like, you know, it's like heaven sent, but not as good. And that's what you think. But if you isolate it, it's actually a really well-written good pop rock song and i do like the song but i guess i would uh, yeah it is one of the weaker songs on the album and if we had to cut a couple tracks this would probably i'd say this in so many tears are probably the two leading candidates for being cut so uh what do you think about it nick um i'm gonna go ahead and say cut stop fighting love it's a good song but like I said earlier with all the other tunes, it does not fit with Kiss of Death through Mr. Scary. I mean, I think it's totally filler, and it's not killer either. So that's all I got, man. All right. What about you, Eric? Stop fighting love. Uh, holy mother of fuck. Is this another breakup song? Like, yes. Man, Don Dockin, man, getting his heart broken by these ladies. He... He is really picking some some of the shittiest women ever, man. Whoa. Uh, <laughs> like, no wonder he was an asshole in the 80s. I'd be an asshole, too, if I had his luck with women. Uh, you know... This, uh, this I'm sorry, go ahead, Eric. This song's a fucking filler, man. It's horrible. I cut this one from the album. This song blows more dudes than Don Dockin's cheating ass. <laughs> you know... I think I might have just figured out something. What if this album is a concept um, record where the lyrics talk about Don cannot find a, um, a stable relationship because he's afraid of getting AIDS? Ooh, Ooh that's Ooh. good. The first track talks about AIDS, and then the rest of the songs are about relationships not working out and heartbreak. Maybe he's like, you know, I can't do this. I'm afraid. What if this whole album... Because think about how this ends. 
is a dream he's having or a nightmare Ooh. that Freddy Krueger has put him in. Where it's because what does Friday do? He plays on your fears, your deepest, right. oh, and your vulnerabilities. Ooh. And Don is fucking Mr. Walking fears and vulnerabilities, heartache. And he's damn, he's that's pretty this, fucking good. This, it, standing in the shadows, night by night, it all adds up. It's all Don dealing with all his fears and his hangups and his anxieties, and he's worried about AIDS and the Berlin Wall and women, <laughs> women that break his heart again and again. And George Lynch seems scary to him, Mr. Scary. So, okay. Oh my God, dude, you, we have figured it out. And then again, Freddy Krueger is playing on Don's fears and anxieties. Ha <laughs> ha Don, how's that? Welcome to primetime, Don. How's this for a sleepless night? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I think we've nailed it, gentlemen. Yeah, and what's the song right before Dream Warriors? Sleepless, sleepless Night. Night. Boom. I was going to say, too, I love, how they, I love how they put Sleepless Night. Even live, they put Sleepless Nights right before Dream Warriors. I'm like, I see what you guys are doing it, there. That works perfect. That That's, works absolutely. We, we just solved it. It is a concept album back for the attack. And John Dawkins versus Freddy Krueger. Yep, that's right. There yeah. you go. Yeah, no so, this album's so fucking long. Yeah, it's a concept album. Now, yeah. now you think these songs should all be here, even the songs that suck. Uh, fuck. <laughs> I'm just gonna go ahead and say, fuck the wall and the elder. Back for the attack rules. Boom! Greatest concept yeah. album <laughs> ever. <laughs> now stop fighting love is awesome. <laughs> it all makes sense. Yes. Uh, okay, so we uh, okay, so we would cut this unless we're embracing this as, which I think we all are now, as a concept album. And then, ooh, cry of the gypsy, cry of the gypsy, because you know Freddy sometimes pretends he's somebody else, like he sees a gypsy, and then it turns right. into Freddy. You know, it fakes him out. That's right. the thing he does. So that's the gypsy. Um, so cry of the gypsy. Okay, now if we had to cut maybe three or four songs from this, I guess cry of the gypsy would be cut. But I do like it better than about two or three other songs. So uh, I think this is a filler track, but it's borderline killer filler. Not quite Ooh. killer filler, but I do like it. It has a cool groove to it. it. This is the thing. A lot of these songs, even the ones that were calling filler and stuff, I feel like lesser bands of that time period, if they had these songs, they would be like the better songs on their albums. But on an album that just started off so strong at this higher like Judas Priest level of quality... Right. That's why these songs sound not so great on the second side. But if, again, if you took them apart and just separate, just listen to the song separately, you'd go, "That's a cool song. That's a cool, catchy mid '80s, you know, heavy metal song, but melodic metal song." So I like "Cry the Gypsy." I like the vibe. It's got a cool groove, and not one of the best songs on the album by any means. But you know, it depends on how merciless I was in the cutting. This might just survive getting cut. And then this would be kind of ideally the weakest song on the album. <laughs> so that, I think Cry of the Gypsy should be on the album, but just be the weakest track on the album. That's my opinion. So what do you mm-hmm. think, Eric? Uh, Cry of the Gypsy is like, it has such a badass title for the song, but it just kind of lets me down. It's not necessarily a bad song. There's, you know, there's worse songs on the album, 
But Cry of the Gypsy is just like you're expecting something. You know, a title like that, you're expecting something so heavy and so badass. And what you're kind of left with is just kind of this filler track that's not necessarily bad, but it's just not necessarily really that good as you're expecting it. And it's definitely one I probably will cut from the album. Nothing to write home about, but it's not like, you know, it, it's not Silent Lucidity. It's not that fucking bad, but <laughs> nothing to write home about. You know, that's that's my opinion on it. So what do you think, Mick? I'm going to cut it, man. I mean, uh, yeah, side B of this record is just not... Besides a couple songs, all right, because... Uh, all right, whoever has the vinyl, which I don't. This is the only one of the Classic 80 albums that I don't have a vinyl. Does side B start with uh, Mr. Scary or uh, Tears? Well, the cassette end it with Mr. Scary and open and side two begins with so many tears. I don't right. ha- I don't have the re- vinyl of this, so I don't actually know offhand. Alright, so let's go with that. Alright, so for me, so far, side B, so many tears, cut. So far, I mean, the only songs that I would have kept from side B is Burning Like a Flame and Lost Behind the Wall. I would have to cut Cry of the Gypsy. Like Eric kinda nailed it. Cry of the Gypsy is such a cool fucking title. Like, just think if Judas Priest would have had a song on Scream for Vengeance called Cry of the Gypsy, how amazing that would have been. God, it would have been such a cool song. I can hear it now in my head. But this song is not that good, guys. I mean, in my opinion. All right. It's, it's more kind of mopey dawn. It's more mopey well, yeah, dawn. side two is definitely the mopey dawn side. Yeah, it's like, dude, come on. You've got money. You got babes. You got everything you could want. And he's still mopey. Kind of like... Paul Stanley a little bit, but at least Paul Stanley in his songwriting, I could like he was happy. You know? Yeah, he, he pretends that he likes having sex with women. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he pretends. Uh, next, now, Sleepless Night. I'm going to take Sleepless Night. Ooh. I feel this is obvious. I think this is clearly the best song on side two. To me, this is a big rebound after... Uh, one really good filler track, Lost Behind the Wall, which I think was killer filler, and then a bunch of songs that I think individually are all right songs, but not as good as the first side. Uh, Sleepless Night, I think, is back to the quality of the first side, but totally different. It has a very... This is, I would say, the most upbeat-sounding song on the album. Now, I'll say Don, yeah, Don sounds pretty happy on the song. Don actually sounds... <laughs> even though it's a sleepless night, it sounds like... And he can't sleep. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like, oh, he's actually, like, fucking, and that's why he's not sleeping. He actually sounds like he's getting some on this song. Right. Uh, it's, it sounds kind of like a Van Halen song mu- musically. It has that kind of guitar tone, and it's upbeat, and it's fun, and it gives a different tone. And just when you really needed it, too, it's like, okay, enough with the mopiness. Let's have a little bit of fun here. Uh, another song that I actually think could have been a single, so especially yep. if you had some a lot of beds and sexy ladies rolling around in them, you know. It was the late 80s, you know, that was the time to have videos like that. And I think it's one of the songs they play live, and you can hear it on the expanded Beast from the East. Nice. I actually like this song a lot. I think it's catchy, and I think it kind of helps it save the second side and kind of gets the party going again. And uh, I have a, a few opinions about the last track and the bonus track and how I think this album should have been put together. I will just say I think this actually would have been a really cool closing track. I think this should have been the last track on the album. Kind of end it on... I like albums when they end on, like, the last track's kind of a tone shift. Like, oh, you want right. to think, like, one way or the other. So having a kind of upbeat kind of 
ending song would have been kind of interesting for this album. And I think Sleepless Night would have been a really cool ending for this album. So anyway, I love this song. I think it's great. I still wouldn't put it up with the, the first four or five songs, but it's definitely my favorite song on side two. And to me, it's a rebound after some mopiness. So what do you think, Mick? I got to agree, man. I think this song is awesome. I love this song. I mean, to me, like I said before, on side A, you've got Kiss of Death or Mr. Scary. Excellent stuff. I love all of that. Side B, So Many Tears, Scratch, Burning Like a Flame, Scratch, Lost Behind the Wall, Keep, Stop Fighting Love, Scratch, Cry of the Gypsy, Scratch. Finally, we get to a song that's worthy of the first six and seven, Counting Burning the Flame, to me. I just love it, and what I really like about this song is, I mean, like like you said, it's kind of got a Van Halen vibe. It's upbeat, it's happy. On a sleepless night, got a restless mind. You know, just cool chorus. Love the riff. But I love how, like, it's kind of like, you know, I mean, because these last two tracks, you know how, like, if you listen to, like, um, Alice Cooper, you know, Welcome to My Nightmare, you have, like, Steven, and then you have the, uh, well, all right, well, you got Devil's Food and the Black Widow. You got songs that kind of tell a story, and they kind of go into each other. I think Sleepless Night and Dream Warriors, theatrically, lyrically, do do the same thing. And I think it's cool how you got Sleepless Night, which is upbeat and happy, and then it fades into Dream Warriors. To me, that is freaking awesome. I love that part of it. Excellent song. Totally worthy of the album. And it's kind of nice to hear Don not being so emotional and (laughs) mopey. I mean, when Don can get happy, like when he takes his medication and... When he's actually when, he, when he's actually getting some ass on the side and stuff, you know, Don can be one hell of a songwriter. Yeah, I wish I wish we could have seen more of that. Even though the mopiness and darkness kind of made Doc and what they were, you know, but you, yeah. you need a good uh, balance. I, I feel excellent you're, track. You're just happy for the guy too, because you feel sorry for him all the other time. Right, yeah. right. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like Dawkins. Dawkins almost like the heavy metal version of the Cure. You know. Yeah. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Ooh, in a lot of ways. <laughs> the Cure actually got more upbeat than Doc and Doc. Right. Yeah, like, right. Yeah. Boys Don't back. Cry or, you know. Yeah, they had more upbeat songs than Doc. And <laughs> That's fucked up, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that is. You know what? I just kind of realized that in, you know, they really don't go for it. But this album, especially, is kind of gothy. It is. It has a gothic, but even the, the album, like the coat of armor, is kind of like it. If you look at like the backdrop, the blue black backdrop right. behind it, there's these like hounds of hell and knights and shit. There's yeah. something kind of old school gothic, like hammer horror gothic kind of. Absolutely. Thing. Yeah. Kind of hidden within the the red and the purples and stuff. You know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and then when you look in the booklet, it's got like a like a knight shining okay. armor riding a horse. I don't know. Oh, while we're on that, there's one uh, story that I forgot to say. It's not a story so much, just a reflection. Something else I love about I love this album cover, by the way. I didn't mention it. Yeah, it's one of my favorite. It's probably my favorite Doc and album cover, actually. Yeah, it's cool, uh, man. Yeah, I really love it. But there's uh, at the Rainbow Bar and Grill, which is a place I cre- you know frequent. I live in West Hollywood. <sighs> you're and, you're so lucky, dude. I envy you so much. I know. It is a cool place. I'm not gonna lie, it's a cool place to be hanging, and. They, there's a lot of different bars uh, there. Uh, there's there's an outside bar, which is where Lemmy used to hang out. And then there's right. an inside bar on in the lower level, and then there's a really cool bar. Actually, my favorite bar is they call it Over the Rainbow, 
and that's like mm-hmm. up uh, in the top. It's like a little hidden place where the Hollywood vampires, like Alice Cooper and shit, used yeah, to hang out with yeah. back in the day. Mickey, nice. Mickey Dolenz, Mickey Dolenz, Alice Cooper, John Lennon. Yeah, yeah all those guys. So anyway, yeah. so, but this is the bar that's uh, this is the bar that's inside, but not that bar. It's the one that's on the ground level. But so you go in there and you sit, and there's like on the walls, there's all this you know memorabilia and shit from the past and stuff like that, rock history. Um, right across from the bar, uh, on one of the walls, is the platinum record for uh, Back for the Attack. So, it's really cool when you're sitting at the bar, especially if you sit at the right at the edge of the bar, you just turn your head, and it's like right there, the platinum record, and with this album cover. And I used to always like that spot there, because I just liked sitting there, you know, having, having a scotch or a beer, and turning my head and seeing Back for the Attack. It was just like, to me, that it just makes me think of the rainbow, and it makes me think of sitting at that spot at the rainbow. And it's it's just like awesome vibe. And that's the thing, and sometimes mm-hmm. you will actually see Don Dockin himself sitting in a booth looking mopey. <laughs> really? Really? Oh, man. Yes, for real. <laughs> there was one time I walked in, and they actually played into the fire. I turn my head, and I see that, and then I walk up to the bathroom, and I walk, and I see Don sitting and being mopey in a booth. And it was like the ultimate docking night. It was fucking awesome. Eating a cheeseburger, crying. Crying. <laughs> his $15 cheeseburger. Right, man. Dude, we have to party at the Rainbow. Of course, Same. of course. That I goes without saying. Like all, like, like all three of us should hang out at the Rainbow together. We would have to. Yeah, and we definitely right. would. Yeah, it's awesome. And you got Wild Ride should like open up for someone at the whiskey. Yeah, you know? dude. Yeah, we, uh, yeah. Um, yeah, because the whiskey was... still has that kind of music. They still play like you know. They'll still be in a lot of those older bands play there, like uh, Bullet cool. Boys and Faster Pussycat. Like they actually still play there. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, you guys should definitely do that. Yeah. We will definitely try. We will definitely try. It might happen. But anyway, so uh, take it back. Yeah, so so this album, in addition to thinking of my childhood and my brother and stuff like that, Back for the Attack makes me think of sitting and having a drink at the Rainbow. And that's always cool. I actually saw Dawkins perform in the parking lot of the Rainbow. Wow. No shit. Yeah, Don Dawkins' nice. spoken word interpretations of Dawkins classics. It was cool. It was free. Yeah. So it was free. Fucking better, man. Yeah. Uh, so now, yeah, as you point out, we got. Uh, did we all talk about Sleepless Night? Eric, did you talk no, about No, I haven't yet. I so, haven't Eric, yet. what do you think of Sleepless Night? Well, like you guys said, I'm kind of glad it's an upbeat song because I, I saw the title Sleepless Night and I'm like, ah, oh, shit. Don Dockin writing another mopey song. He's like, oh, shit, I can't sleep tonight because. My girlfriend is blowing all the guys from the Bullet Boys. Oh, and I can't sleep now. Oh, bullets to spare. Oh god. Yeah. But no, this song. <laughs> At least she's not blowing Vinnie Vincent. True, true. <laughs> well, she'd be uh, she'd be scissoring Vinnie Vincent. <laughs> but no, um, this song fucking kicks ass, man. I love how they play it before Dream Warriors because of the title. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Stay Awake All Night by Crocus. Oh, yeah. I hear that. Yeah. I can it's totally hear good, that. This is a great just fucking party song. This is like a song like that I can imagine would, would get a good response if they play it live. Uh, it's just a fun time song. Great party song. I fucking love it, man. Awesome. So we all like Sleepless Night. Rebound. Yeah. So it's a cool oh, yeah. sound right at the end. Okay, I'll take Dream Warriors. Now, this is the thing about Dream Warriors. 
Uh, I love the song. I think it's great. It's a classic. How could you not like Dream Warriors? Come on, it's fun. It's everything. Yeah, I mean, you could say it's cheesy, but like cheesy oh. in the best way. This is like, this is like uh, eating. It's like Chicago deep dish. This deep dish cheese oh. dripping off your mouth while you're watching Bachelor Party. And, you know, that kind of cheese. It's a good time, goddammit. And... <laughs> Uh, but I love it. It's righteous. It's kind of a, almost a little Judas Priest-esque in a way. And it's, yep. it's a great soundtrack. I and I kind of changed my mind as we were doing this show. Like, I was going to suggest that Dream Warriors should just be a standalone single and shouldn't be on this album. Uh, but now that we figured out that this is a concept album, and I should think of this more in terms of like an Al- Alice Cooper kind of way... Right, now, right. Now, now uh, I'm reversing yeah. my idea that Sleepless Night should be the second to last track, and yes, Dream Warriors should end it, because that's when he fights Freddy, who's been tormenting him throughout this whole album, now that I understand that this is what's going on. <laughs> so uh, so we can, keep dream, we can keep Dream Warriors. I will say this, I do prefer the single mix, which is rawer and heavier than this version's a little slicker. Although maybe that yeah. wouldn't have flowed quite sonically with the rest of the album, but I, Mick, did you ever listen to the single mix of this? Uh, yes, I have because last year I actually scored this single on eBay. Oh, that's right, that's right. right. You saw, yeah, you actually got yeah. the, the 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 like what is it like the thirty five of it? It's like, the it's the twelve inch. Twelve inch or the twelve? Yeah. How does it? Yeah. How did it sound? Sweet. Oh, dude, it sounds amazing, man. Like it's uh, All right. this song, Dream Warriors, and Back for the Attack. Yeah, I, my brother yeah. had the my brother had the cassette single, and he had this, you know, before this album came out, and that's the first time I heard the song. And nice. yeah, Back for the Attack was the B side on it, and yeah, I remember that version. I listened to that single quite a bit, and I remember like staring at the picture of Freddy and the, the yeah. Dream Warriors that don't match up with the actual Dream Warriors in the movie. No, like none of the like <laughs> yeah, none of the painting matches. You got like some black chick with a mohawk, and I'm like, I don't remember seeing her in the movie, but yeah, yeah. The punk rock girl has blonde hair, and yeah, it's not all matching right. up. But they're cool, and the the guy with the wand, although he's standing, he's not in a wheelchair. None of right, it works. The, right, the little uh, wizard kid, the Harry Potter kid. Yeah. He's fun. None of it's adding up, but yeah. it still was an it's an awesome image. And I would just stare at that, you know. You know, right. like this, like, when you're staring at things that you're not quite old enough to watch yet. Like I wasn't old enough to yeah. watch Night on Elm Street yet, but I, I could, I could look at that album cover. <laughs> you know, that's absolutely. Cover. You and know, it's like it's kind of like being a kid back then, you know, and uh, you know, going to the horror section in the movie or in the video store, you know. Yeah. And seeing that whole wall of old VHS tapes and being like, what the fuck is that about? You know, not being able to rent any of them, but just staring at the artwork. Amazing. I was a little like that also with like heavier heavy metal. Because like my brother only listened to like hair metal stuff for the most part. So yeah. like he, he wasn't listening to even like stuff like Maiden and Juice, he, uh, Judas Priest. He didn't get that heavy. Really? You know, he, he kind of thought Dawkins was like kind of as heavy as he got. Um, wow. he didn't He didn't go to that next level. And so I didn't grow up with a lot of that stuff. But once I got into junior high, you know, I'd see kids with those jackets, you know, especially a lot of the shop kids. You know, I'd see the maiden jackets on denim and stuff like that. And it's funny because as a kid, I recall Ian Wadley said a similar thing to once that I'd look at them and go, oh, the, those are the bad kids. Like, right. And that stuff. <laughs> and then, you know, those like, are the stoners and stuff. And then, like, a year later, yeah. 
I'd be they'd be my friends, and I was like listening to that music. Right. <laughs> but right. uh, so I guess I got I fell from grace. I got seduced by the evil rock and rollers. But yeah, I had it to, happens. <laughs> it, it happens to all of us, dude. And all remember, three, all three of us, I guarantee that that moment happened to all three of us. And I remember even like the first time I listened to Metallica was in Justice for All, and I even listened to it, and I was like, this doesn't sound that evil. I like right. it. It didn't sound that evil. Maybe. <laughs> It definitely didn't sound that evil. And, and like exactly. that, it's the same way with horror movies, like Friday 13th, and I love them, but I was like, oh, this isn't so bad. Nightmare right. on Elm I gotta tell you though, that first Nightmare on Elm Street, as a kid, I watched it and it was like, shit, this, this, this is exactly what I thought it would be like as a kid. Right. <laughs> so, it's I, I agree. <laughs> right. Like, when you see Freddy coming down that alleyway in the beginning with his like elongated arms, yeah, that freaks yeah. me out. And he's like this. Really you don't see shadows. Right, and that's what makes Freddy so great in that first movie, is you don't see him, and he's not telling jokes every five minutes and shit. Yeah. You know? And then you hear him, and he's like, this is God. And he's moving <laughs> his claws. Freaky yeah. shit, dude. And this song, to bring it back to the song, it captures that vibe. That's the thing. Especially right. those first couple notes and that sound. It has that fun. It's not just Nightmare on Elm Street. It kind of captures the vibe of every like VHS 80s horror movie. Like It just yeah. has that vibe yeah. where it's like walking into a fun haunted, haunted house. It's kind of spooky, but it's a party at the same time. You know? Absolutely. And, and Dream Warriors just captures that. It's a classic. Like I said, I used to think it shouldn't be on this album, but now I disagree. It stays on. It's a great way to end it. So I love Dream Warriors. And I, I still wouldn't say it's uh, one. I definitely the first six songs are still my six favorite songs on this album, and I might even put Sleepless yeah. Night ahead of it. But after that, after the first uh, six and Sleepless Night, it's my eighth favorite song on the album. And hey, if Dream Warriors is your eighth favorite song even with the filler that's still a pretty damn good album because this song's great so good on you doc and you won me back at the end so, yes. so what what do you think <laughs> eric oh man i i fucking love dream warriors uh i will admit i love the single version better because the single version's a little it sounds a little bit rougher it's not as polished and uh it uh you know it, it's a little bit faster too it's a bit sped up I love, but I still love this song, man. This is like my favorite Dokken song of all time is Dream Warriors. It's my number nice. one favorite Dokken. And uh, I, I remember, too, like, for whatever reason, uh, what got me into Dokken was uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Because I saw some, like, it was like ER Entertainment or VH1. They were talking about Nightmare on Elm Street. And they mentioned the song uh, by Dokken being in the soundtrack. And they showed clips from the music video, which had Freddy in it. For whatever reason, as a kid, I thought Dokken were in the movie. So I was like, oh my god, I need to rent Nightmare on Elm Street 3 because Doc, this badass, like, hair metal band Dokken's in it. I need to see it. I was disappointed because they weren't in the movie. Well, it but, makes uh, sense, especially because the way they cut the video make, does make it look like they're in the movie, too. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Yeah. It does, yeah. Uh, but, man, I, I dig this song, man. It's just so badass and... Every time I watch Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3, which is, like, easily my... After Halloween, it's my second favorite horror movie of all time. Um, I have to fucking hear Dream Warriors, man. I have to watch the credits and hear that song. It's not complete without that song. I love Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. 
uh, Heather Lane Camp. I fucking had the hots for her. I remember when I first saw Nightmare on Elm Street, and I remember replaying the. This is obviously the first movie, but I remember replaying that shower, uh, that bathtub scene. The bathtub. Over and over again as a kid. Nice. <laughs> but uh, I love Heather Lane Camp, man, and uh, I just remember. Man, I love Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. I love the song. It's just a perfect fucking song. So what do you think, Mick? Um, I gotta say this is my favorite song on the album. There you right go. On. Right. And it probably has to do... I mean, it probably has to do with the connection of the Nightmare on Elm Street series. But pound for pound, I mean, like I said earlier, my favorite song that was written for this album is Heaven Sent. But adding Dream Warriors, it's definitely my favorite I mean, like, if you take this 13-track album and then you cut out So Many Tears, Stop Fighting Love, Cry of the Gypsy, and then you just put down Dream Warriors and Sleepless Night, you make it a 10-track album. 80s heavy metal perfection. And quite possibly right there, I mean, like, if it was that, I might have to contend this maybe being the best docking album. But Dream Warriors, I love it. It's got such a... It totally encapsulates that kind of 80s horror vibe. It's spooky. Yeah. It's brooding. It's it's the perfect Halloween song. You know, like if, you know, late at night when you got the kids outside trick-or-treating and you want to have a little makeshift, uh, like a Halloween thing in your front yard, this would be the perfect soundtrack for that. Add this with like Alice Cooper, Teenage Frankenstein and shit. It's a perfect song, dude. I love it. Agreed. And, I mean, going with the single version and going with this version, I love them both. And, uh, I mean, I, I honestly might have to go with the Back for the Attack. Probably just because that's the one I'm most familiar with. But, uh, yeah, I love this song. It's my favorite song on the album. Baby. Hi, hi. There you go. And you would yeah. make it a 10. Obviously, if it was a 10-song album, the way you describe it, Mick, it, it, I'd still go with Tooth and Nail, but this would definitely come a little closer and really give it a run for its money. I would, uh, too. I, my I, favorite, I, would, like, actually, my favorite would actually be Under Locking Key. I, I love that one so much. I love that album, too. I but do my, love that album, but that's my third favorite. I do love it. So my personal favorite docking album is Tooth and Nail. And I think it's because I just love that whole 1980 through 84 to me was the pinnacle of like 80s metal. I agree. I agree. Like, you know, like that was just, you know, you got the new wave of British heavy metal. You got the L.A. metal scene that was not hair metal. You got Motley Crue, Too Fast for Love, Shout at the Devil, Rat Out of the Cellar, Dawkin, Tooth and Nail, Breaking the Chains, Wasp. The debut. I mean, I could go on and on, but that it was, shit, it was just. It was right before the, the genres started coming in. It was before you had thrash and hair metal. Right. It was just, it was just metal. That's well, it was, was before MTV, too. Yeah. But e- even some of those yeah. very. Well, before early, MTV took off. Yeah, yeah, but you have even. If, if you kind of. The first half of the 80s, like even in 84. You know, you got a little bit of the thrash starting, but it still has right. a wave of heavy metal influence to it, like like Kill 'Em All. You know, so it all kind of works together, and it's all metal. It's all different shades of metal, and it's all absolutely. It's, and it just has an edge. That period, the first half of the '80s, metal just had an edge, and it was like still for the denim leather crowd. You know, right, and not the spandex and hairspray crowd. 
Yeah, not for the girls watching MTV. Right, or and, not for the, I mean, because you had the extremes, you had the really heavy shit like Slayer and Metallica and Megadeth and Anthrax, and then you had the other stuff, like the kind of the more glammy thing, you know, it was just... Yeah. I feel like with the with the on with the with the arrival of thrash, that's when you really had the division. Well, and that's and that sucks because there should there should not be any division. But then that, that's the thing is the hair metal stuff got popular, so it's like the one well, yeah, side got heavier and one side got popular, and that's the right. thing. And begin in the first half eighties, it was like perfect kind of hybrid, right? And you know the sweet right, I mean, spot. You could have Motley Crue shout at the devil. And socks and denim and leather, and how, what? How much difference was that? You know? Yeah, that yeah, totally. And yeah, I think yeah. yeah. So I definitely feel tooth and nail. Captures. It's a perfect album. So that's definitely a perfect one for me. It has that vibe. My favorite right. rock songs into the fire. So to me, that's it's just a perfect album. But this is damn. I mean, especially for 1987, this is fucking. This is a strong goddamn album. Even with right. the filler tracks, I I wouldn't be as merciless as you two guys. I would. I'd say this could be a decent 12-track album, but mm-hmm. I, gotcha. I would cut... I would probably cut... Yeah, I would cut Stop Fighting Love, So Many Tears, and I also... I think Back for the Attack Ooh. should be on this album, actually. It's I agree. Ba- a- absolutely, absolutely. And, yeah, I'd probably also cut like Cry of the Gypsy and fit on Back for the Attack, and Back for the Attack should open side, too. That, to me... I love it, that. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of the perfect song that you're kind of missing on side two. You just want a balls-out fucking rocker. This, like, uh, Night for Night has a kind of ACDC kind of groove to it. Uh, with the, and I just love... I mean, it's a title track. The title track should be on the fucking album. I agree. <laughs> and right. it's better than a lot of the songs that are on side two. So, yeah, Back for the Attack should definitely be on it. If you do, like we mentioned earlier, if you get the Rock Candy remaster of this album... Back for the Attack is included on it as the 14th track. So I definitely, if you're getting this, you should definitely get that. Because Back for the Attack kicks ass. I love this song. Yeah. And it's stronger than half of the songs on side two. So definitely should have been on it. What, what do you think of Back for the Attack, Mick? I, I love it. I totally agree with you. Yeah, and it sounds like you do too, Eric. So we're all in agreement that Back for the Attack's awesome. It yeah. should have been on this album. Now, did you ever hear? Um, it's a great song. Did you ever hear Jeff Pilson do it? No, like a what? demo of Jeff Pilson singing it on YouTube along wow. with Dream Warriors, and it fucking rules. Because yeah, Jeff Pilson has like he's like an evil or sounding Don Dokken. You know, Don wow. Dokken's got the softer, more melodic voice, whereas Jeff Pilson has like a meaner, like more traditional metal sounding voice. You know, he sings a lot meaner, and I fucking love it, man. Check it out. Yeah, I, Jeff, I, I heard the demo of him doing Dream Warriors, but I didn't hear the back for the attack. Jeff, to me, is the, you know, and like lots of bass players. You know, I mean, I'm not tooting the horn of bass players, but Jeff Pilsen, to me, is like the unsung hero in Dawkins, you know. I agree. I Without agree. Jeff Pilsen joining the band, I mean, because at first, remember, they had Juan Crucier that later joined Rat. Who was good. Know? He was really good. Who's amazing, yeah, and yeah. he's a great vocalist himself. But, I mean, Juan was great in Rat. He needed to go with Rat. But if Jeff Pilsen wouldn't have joined Dawkins, this band wouldn't have been the same. I actually don't think this band would have lasted to back for the attack. Because if you know, no. he was diplomatic. Yep. He essentially right, was right. the li- liaison. 
between George and Don. Don and George literally would not record together. Like even right. even on Tooth and Nail, I was yeah. shocked when I was reading that. That I I kind of suspected that on Back for the Attack, but I didn't know that even going back to Tooth and Nail, Don and George had to be in separate rooms. They couldn't be yeah. at the studio at the same that time. Sucks. Yeah, so Je- yeah, so these guys never had fun, which is why yeah. Don- another reason why Don smoked <laughs> all the time. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's I mean, almost like um, this band was just not meant to last. Yeah, they, it was just a leading thing. In a way, it kind of right. makes them kind of tragically romantic. In a way, as right? Right? Yeah. Uh, right. And Jeff was kind of keeping them. The Jeff was the guy that could go work with George on a song and then go work yeah. with Don in a song. So he's the guy. It's like a kid with two divorced parents that has to go to the two parents all the time. But that right. was his job, you know. So Jeff it, was very important to the band. He kind of, if it wasn't for him, they they, they would have broke up at very least after Under Lock and Key, I think. Yeah, right. and it's still like because remember a couple of years ago. And I posted it earlier on one of the pages that Dokken did that Live in Japan album. Yeah. And they did that mm-hmm. new song. It's just Another Day, I think. Or It's Another Day. Yeah. And yep. um, I remember reading when they wrote that song, which is the last new Dokken track. Like Jeff and George wrote wrote that song, basically. And then Jeff took it to, Do- or to Don Dokken and helped him finish it. So even to this day, Jeff's still that... That happy medium, that lukewarm water. <laughs> the, the, yes, like Derek Smalls, <laughs> right? Really cool. Between yeah, yeah. between George's uh, fire and Don's ice, <laughs> right? Exactly. And Don is definitely the ice. Uh, definitely, definitely yeah. the ice. <laughs> Crying his frozen tears. Uh, okay, so let's. Uh, so it's great. So it sounds like uh, we all like this or love this album to varying degrees. We all agree that side two is. Uh, a big drop off, yeah. Quality. But, but the heights, man, the heights of side one. Not many okay. bands reach heights like that, and that's like priest level, peak priest level heights, in my opinion. That right. first half, you Agreed. know. And yeah. like earlier, whenever I was riding around listening to this and just hearing how great, strong the songwriting was, how could have Dawkins? at the time, you know, surpassing this. I don't no, think they could have. No, no, this this is their peak. And this is like, right. I just, I think one of the regrets is they, they, they really should have maxed this out. Like every couple months, there should have right. been a new video for this album. And, yeah. Because uh, all you know, those... like, uh, But it's just like, you know, like if you look at the 80s, you know, the 80s was such a over-the-top, hedonistic, you know, period of music, you know, not only with the music, but the lifestyle these guys led, you know. And you look at Doc and Back for the Attack and you look at Judas Priest uh, Defenders of the Faith and Motley Crue. I mean, Motley Crue. I love Motley Crue. I love all Motley Crue except for Brandon. But oh. you know, but even Motley Crue on Shout the Devil, dude. They peaked early. Rat and whatever they peaked. But just a lot of these guys hit that point to where they were they were done. You know what I mean? Like you know, yeah. burnt out with the lifestyle they were leading. Burnt out with the relationships with the members. I think Dawkins had just reached that point with this album where they were just done. You know? Yeah, and the well, strange thing I, was they were like, if you really look at Dokken, they were right at the end because they're always like an op- they never reached the heights like Rat and Motley Crue did. Right, they're always like an opening band, but a solid opening band. They're always yeah. right at that edge of like hitting hitting their peak, and they never yeah. quite hit it. This was the album where like the follow up should have been like their breakthrough, but the yeah. timing of like the '90s were coming, and the band was just like so dysfunctional 
they it just you know it never happened. It never yep. happened. It was just long time, just bad timing and all right. that. They just missed it. You know, one thing, if you know, uh, their management company, and they had a very big management company, the same they, management that did... Q-Prime. Yeah, that did Metallica and Def Leppard. And yeah. they told them, they told they had a meeting with them saying, you guys got to stay together. They did that meeting, you know, which they have to do with Metallica like every couple months. We, <laughs> but, we <have. laughs> but, but, but they're successful, the Metallica meetings. They keep Lars and James together. But they failed. They failed with George and Don, you know, in, in 1988 or whatever, when they sat them down and said, guys, you're one album away from being headliners. That's what and they that's said. totally true. Yeah. He said, you're one album away. Your next album's going to be your big, especially, and if, like, just listen to the songs on side A and a couple on side, you know, like Sleepless Night and Dream Warriors. The song, they didn't burn out creatively. Like, there's some fat on this album, but, I mean, there's more than enough great songs on here to keep them, to, like, this could have been a bigger album, I think, if they released it, you know, right. But their songwriting chops were still there. George's playing was still there. As a band, they still had the goods. They didn't burn out creatively. So if George and Don didn't hate each other so much, and yeah. if they got their shit together, I feel like, yeah, they, I felt like they were like perhaps one of those bands. They could have been part of that kind of Queensryche, Guns N' Roses, Faith No More, very early 90s, like right before grunge hits, but they get like one really big album seen as a kind of more creative in you know kind of experimental thing. but and obviously that's where it ended and they got, went into that live album knowing that that was going to be their last release and that's why they did yeah. walk away and that was all that but it's very sad because yeah uh. Dawkins was just on the verge they were literally they were the band the that could have been the band that could have been and they lived with that for the rest of their life and they saw that vibe that's the thing there's a sadness Don is still yeah. glo- gloomy to this day. <laughs> and, and he was—he was, he used to just be gloomy over a woman, and, and now he's gloomy over everything that happened in his career, and knowing that he was this close. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's like now, like, isn't Don like he can't use one of his hands? Isn't that yeah. right? Oh yeah, he's, he's in paralyzed yeah. in one of his hands. Yeah, poor Don. Man, that's, that's it's sad. sad. Yeah. Don, when you look back, like, you know, we all grew up thinking Don Dockin was this giant asshole. And then you grew up to find out, like, George Lynch was really kind of the douchebag of the band. And yeah. Don was actually kind of a cool guy. And yeah. even, like, the mistakes he did make, he's, like, owned up to. Whereas George Lynch is still fucking bitter as shit towards Don. Right. Yeah, and doesn't give him enough credit. I will say this. Don never trashes George's musicianship. Or his playing. Exactly. And and George acts like Don. And yeah, Don has his can't sing now, but he acts like Don can never sing. (laughs) You know, which which we know is bullshit. It's both. Don sounded great in the eighties, and yeah, he didn't. He did, and he he sounded good in the nineties too. Yeah, he sounded very. I I think he sounded good into like the early to mid O's. He's still singing in there. I think the last release where Don had like a really good voice was like Hell to Pay. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, you know, he didn't sing in a cliche or traditional heavy metal way all the time, but that's the thing that made him unique and made Dokken unique, you know. Right. And he saved those little high pitch. He could do some of that high pitch, banshee kind of vocals, but he would save it for a spot here and there. A little like David Lee Roth did early on, you know, like on the first right. Van Halen album. Like, he put it in a moment at the end of a song, you know, just to help push it over the edge. But he didn't right. overuse it, and he crooned, and he had his own style, and I think it was something that was a very 
big factor to Doc and, and their unique sound. Plus, he was also a great songwriter, and he came up with a lot of great melodies and hooks. Mm-hmm. And and just look at what George did after, you know, that's the thing. You know, after the first Wicked Sensation album, you know. I say, like, George had one good album. Yeah, he just didn't have the song – like. When Jeff and George were working with Don, they helped elevate the songwriting to another level. But without Don, to me, even his post-Dockin albums, without them, they're a little stronger than what they're doing and sound a little closer to Dockin. Like, you could tell that Don is the heart of that band. In the same way, for better or worse, Paul Stanley's the heart of Kiss, you know? Yes. Like, the Paul, like I like the Ace Freely solo album best, but mm-hmm. the Paul Stanley solo album sounds the most like a Kiss album, you know? Yeah, that's true. You know, and that's kind of like Don Dokken. Don Dokken sounds like Up From the Ashes sounds more like Dokken than anything else after the the other guys did, or even when he played with them. That's the thing. Whenever he got together with Jeff and George, they always wanted him to change the sound of Dokken. Right. Yeah, to be hipper. They didn't want to sound like... It's kind of like Nicky and Tommy and Motley Crue. Like, like Generation Swine. And stuff. Yeah, like, oh, we don't want to sound like the 80s. So, like, he... Yeah. Don, whereas Don was, like, he would modernize the sound to a degree, but not to the same level that Jeff and George would want to, you know? Right, right. Yeah. So he's right. the heart of the band, and that's why it's his fucking band. That's why they're called Dawkins. Yeah, that's why that, it's called Dawkins. And I annoy George, but the thing is, too, he started, that first album in Europe was called Don Dawkins Breaking the Chains. Right. They yeah. Don't, yeah. So that was that with the band? Yeah. Was that with George and Juan and Mick? Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. It was a different mix. It's a, a far rawer. You ever listen to that mix? It's on YouTube. I, I have not heard that, no. There's even a studio version of Paris is Burning. Is the, Ooh. Yeah, that's the first nice. one on the album. Which I always kind of thought, because if you listen to Paris is Burning on the U.S. version of Breaking the Chains, to me it sounds like it sounds exactly like the studio tracks with added crowd noise. It's actually yeah. not. It's, actually, it's not. No. Really? Wow. They, they might have, there might okay. be a little bit of overdubs, but that is right. an actual live recording. So uh, that just shows how much great of a live band they were then. Oh yeah, they could put it across, especially that you have right. that. Early, we both talk up. I know we both like that. Make that in the beginning. What's it called? It, live, it, live in conception or something. In conception, that's right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Even though they lie about the date. Yeah, because <laughs> that's not 1981. <laughs> no, it's not. It's weird. Yeah. I, I guess Don is trying to avoid giving someone money. But right, anyway. right, right. <laughs> but it's it's like 83. I think it's obviously after. Yeah. Breaking the Chains was released in the U.S. and it's the U.S. versions of the songs because they were different yeah. when yeah. they played them in '81. But yeah, definitely I, go on YouTube. It, you should check out that original version of Breaking the Chains. It's, it's yeah, really raw. It sounds kind of like a new wave British heavy metal album. Oh, my favorite shit. Yeah, Hell really. Yeah. I guess I'll, we'll go into the recommendations there. I'll s- recommend yeah, that. Our, yeah, radical recommendations. I'll start off, uh, and I'll just say, yeah, go to YouTube, because it's the only way you can hear it. Listen to that original <laughs> Don Dokken version, German version of Breaking the Chains. And also another album, which we touched upon earlier, which if you want to hear kind of a cool example of Dokken in the mid-90s, to me, their best album in the 90s, uh, easily. Although I do like Race the Slate a lot as well. But Great I like album. my favorite's actually Dysfunctional from 1995. Ooh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it's it's a little different. It's like the Beatles meet Stockin'. There's a little yeah, right. bit, a little bit of grunge influence, but not like sh- not like Shadowland. It's a Ugh. it's a nice it's a nice balance. <laughs> it's a nice balance of styles. It actually started off as a solo album, but then they decide to bring in George and the others. But you know they add something. I love the song "Lesser of Two Evils." That 
brings in a little of the dock in 85 with the guitar work, some really cool guitar work, a lot of great melodies. Uh, Hole in My Head's a great song. Again, yep. Too High to Fly, which was the single from it, great song. Again, this is like what we were saying, like where we said that they were a little proto Alice and Chainington spots. Yeah. Like people that, like some headbangers listen to this album and go, oh, they're following trends and stuff. I was like, well, no, not yeah. if you're really listening to Dawkins. If you're listening to Dawkins, this album makes a lot of sense. You know, actually, this is, is kind of exactly what I would think Dawkins would sound like in 1995. The only issue, there's like a missing album or two, though. That's the thing. So people didn't hear that gradual progression, you know? Yeah. Whereas there's definitely an album or two that could have been between this and like Up From The Ashes that would have bridged that so Dysfunctional wouldn't have like taken people back, you know, I think. Mm -hmm. But but yeah, it's a great, uh, I think it's a really underrated album and it's my favorite docking album from the 90s and definitely people should check out Dysfunctional so that's my recommendation alright so Eric you go and then we're going to wrap up Mick since he's our special guest so what do you All recommend right. Eric man I've had there are a couple different ones I wanted to recommend because um, it's winter time and uh, you know every season I feel like I have certain bands I listen to in winter time uh, you know some of those bands include uh, Trans-Siberian Orchestra The Beatles mm-hmm. Pantera, Sabotage, and there are a couple albums I could have chose from each of those artists. And the one I'm going to go with is one I've listened to a lot yesterday and a lot today. Um, and that's Gutter Ballet by Sabotage. Ooh. That album kicks so much ass. And it's like, I think that perfect bridge right between, you know, Sabotage's more metallic era and then they're more, um, more of their transitioning into the, you know, uh, symphonic stuff and like the TSO stuff it's that perfect bridge you got like you know you got like that piano the orchestrations in it but it's still pretty fucking heavy you got songs like The Unholy She's In Love but then you got the experimentation you got you know um, you know Gutter Ballet you got um, uh, you know uh, Summer's Rain uh, but then you know on the masterpiece I I refer to as, you know, Mentally Yours. That song fucking rules. It's a great album. Definitely worth worth checking out, man. If you like, you know, some heavy metal with, like, piano and some orchestrations and stuff like that, it's definitely a good album for you. But uh, that's my recommendation, man. Gutter Ballet by Sabotage. Okay, Mick. Mr. Mick Watkins, what do you recommend? All right, well, first of all, I got to do a little business. I would recommend Wild Ride Gasoline Alley, the brand new 2021 EP from a badass fucking band, Wild Ride. If you love music like Dawkins, if you love music like Kiss, Molly Crew, Guns N' Roses, Judas Priest, definitely check out a band called Wild Ride. If you miss the, the attitude and spirit of the days gone by, definitely check out Wild Ride Gasoline Alley because they are a band. Fuck yeah. Thank you. They are a band that <laughs> these guys, I don't know who they are exactly, but they live and breathe the spirit of rock and roll <laughs> and it's good shit. But other than that, I've got to go with an album that we talked about earlier. Dude, Dawkins from Conception Live 1981. Nice. I mean, it's pound for pound to me. It's, I mean, even with the studio albums, I've got to say it's one of my favorite docking releases. I mean, it's got early versions. It's so raw, and it's not 
It's not like polished in the studio. I really don't think there's any like overdubs on this record. It's got Paris is Burning. It's got one, two. It's got three songs that were never cut on any studio albums. Going Down, Hit and Run, and Liar. They're all excellent early docking tracks. In the Middle, Young Girls, Night Rider, Live to Rock, Breaking the Chains. Excellent album, and I believe it's the best live docking record. So that would be my Wild Ride Gasoline Alley, because I got to pay some bills. Docking, <laughs> right. And docking from Conception Live 1981, even though it's probably from 83. I'll tell yeah, you what, yeah. man, if, if, you're, if you're having some trouble in your sex life right now, quit fucking your woman to slow songs and buy that Wild Ride EP and fuck your woman right. some Wild Ride. That shit makes the right. panties drop. You're going to need it some less floor signs. If you play Wild Ride, because bitches will be fucking dripping wet when hearing that. It's true, Eric. It's true. It's some so sexy. True. It's some sexy ass shit. Bend your lady over to the <laughs> beautiful ballad known as Six Gun Shooter. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of my favorite tracks. Oh, great! So, which track, so, we, so Mick, uh, which up, track from this album would you like people to listen to that we're going to play at the end of this? Yeah. Well, since we're talking about docking. I'd probably try to go with the most docking sounding song. Go with Hold On There. Go okay. with Hold On There. That's yeah. a great track. Yeah. Thank That's you. Because the lyrics are, it's a rocking song, but the lyrics are kind of a little bit Don docking. They're, they're not mopey, but, you know, you ain't got to hold on there. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you that. We can play that. <laughs> we'll play that uh, at the end. And which, one, right. would you, yeah. and which one would you like to have while we're in the beginning when we introduce you? What's a good Nick introduction Oh, oh yeah. definitely the definitely the title track, Gasoline Alley. Yeah. There nice. you go. That's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Well, and I want to thank uh, our special guest, Nick Watkins, for joining us. And I'd like everyone to join us for the next episode, where we will have none other than Doctor Fuck himself, and we'll be Ooh. talking about a certain Black Sabbath album that uh, may surprise some people. And as well, we may have porn star Bridget the Midget joining us. <laughs> And uh, she'll be doing a vaginal hot-dogging contest if we can book her. So stay tuned. Vic, I want to thank you for joining us. And obviously at the end of this episode, man, we're going to play some Wild Ride for the people. I definitely recommend everyone, if you haven't bought the Wild Ride EP, the newest one, Gasoline Alley, you need to go buy it. Fucking put some money in Mick Watkins' uh, pocket. Please, it's uh, definitely needed. Hell yeah. And uh, (laughs) everyone, I want to thank you for, uh, you know, joining me as the my new co-host and starting this new badass podcast man no i love it we're gonna make 2022 kick fucking ass it's about time it's about time years start kicking ass again right and i want to thank you guys for letting me be the first guest host i mean this this is quite the honor gentlemen thank you what's your thing man Thank yeah, you. and of course we're going to want to have you on again in the future. Exactly, absolutely. You're already our favorite guest. There you go, man. Well, thank you, guys. <laughs> thank you. Now, like next week when Ralph comes on, that's tough business. I don't know if you know can go up against Doctor. Well, I Ralph's more I than it. Ralph's more than a guest. <laughs> right, yeah. he's kind of like yeah, he's the OG. But you man, know what? I would love to be on an episode with you guys and Doctor Fuck. That'd be we, quite the honor. Okay, well, thank you so much, Mick, and thank you, Eric. Thank you for for 
joining forces with me. I'm happy to be joining forces with you. And it's awesome. I can't wait until the next episode. I don't know about Damn right. you. <laughs> so I'm looking forward. <laughs> looking forward to that. This has been the Rock All Over You podcast. And we all got to go and have sex with your grandmothers. So peace out, Ooh. everyone. Stay metal. Oh, yeah. Rockin'. Thank <laughs> you.